Hello, everybody. It is your boy, Kyle Conkeel. I am back. I know you guys haven't really heard too much from me in the podcast realm this month, but, you know, I kind of took the month of December off. I kind of recorded all the podcasts I wanted to do up until the end of the year, and I took December and most of January off. And uh, But now I'm back. I'm back. And I'm happy to be back. And I'm happy that I have my third returning guest from my old podcast to the new podcast. And uh, I had a really nice conversation with my old pal, Mark Holcomb, guitar player for the band Periphery, Haunted Shores. And uh, yeah, there's going to be some... uh, you know, there's going to be some merch items changing here in the next few weeks, and I'll be sure to be posting that on my social media. So if you wanted a conk t-shirt and you didn't get one, there will be more shirts on the way in the next few weeks or a month. So, and if you're not following me already, I don't know what your deal is, but you can find me at K-S-K-O-N-K-I-E-L. On Instagram and the Twitters. Anyway, I'm not going to bore you too much with a little before show spiel, but I hope you enjoy my conversation with Mark Holcomb. tastes terrible what are you drinking um so we're not with monster currently anymore um so i just decided to try this like uh natural natural energy drink um i don't want to say the name i'm, I'm already recording just because i like to oh just... is this video too should i look presentable no 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 you're fine dude okay no, you're fine i'm gonna Take my pants off. Okay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, I don't want to say the name of the brand, um, but I'll show you. Mm. But the name of this flavor is called Gangster's Paradise. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, and I was like, you know, it's, I like to have, I like something to have a little bit of bubble in it, you know, and, and it doesn't have too cra- too much crazy caffeine in it. And I was like, yeah. you know, that sounds something I might be into. And um, oh, it says shake gently. Maybe it's because oh. I didn't shake it, mm. so all all of the paradise is at the bottom of the uh, at the yeah. bottom of the can there. Well, people can't see what I'm drinking, obviously, uh, but uh, I have. I think it's pronounced what is it for loco or loco? One of those. <laughs> uh, You're sober. Don't lie to me. <laughs> I am sober. I'm drinking a uh, a Lacroix, or as the French call it, Lacroix. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, uh key lime flavor which is uh, not my favorite flavor but sometimes that is like- that is dot coil's favorite lacruxes La really he, he likes the key lime lacruxes yeah yeah he like really? the key lime is the one because he he says it tastes like skittles like so typically when we're when we're on tour you know we have we have the lacruxes on uh on our writer uh-huh. and um like i've tried i've tried for two years to like get into lacroix and I just, I can't. But so the other day, 
I was uh, I was at my day job and uh, I was at a client's house and you know uh, they're building a studio in their house and uh, they told me they're like hey you know go into the the guest house there's a whole bunch of snacks and shit in there get yourself a beverage you know all set up so I was like all right cool so and uh, you know I heard people talking about Topo Chico. And uh, mm-hmm. I grabbed a couple Topo Chicos, one with lime. It was like twisted lime and then twisted grapefruit. And I grabbed those. I'm like, yo, this is the shit I could get behind. Like, because I feel like it's actually got, like everyone says, you know, that LaCroix is like the fruit striped gum of flavored sparkling water. Uh, yeah. Or like it's traveled next to, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> next yeah. to the fruit it, it's supposed to, but it actually you know it had it had a nice taste and it was it was very refreshing because a lot of the times I feel like with sparkling water I feel like it's too salty. You, you can know? taste that. Yeah, I can't taste that at all. Like I don't know. I just like the only time I can really get down with Lacroix is if I put something else in it, like. And it doesn't like have booze? to be, it, it doesn't, it, it doesn't even have to be booze. Like, you know, just like what I would do and then, you know, and then I turned it into a booze drink. But, uh, what I would do is I put a little bit of Gatorade in the, mm-hmm. in the, in the LaCroix cause we would get, you get a bunch of gate, grape Gatorade. And, um, so I just put a little bit in there just as like, I just need it to taste like something. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I ought to try that sometime. I don't know. Like you're saying that these sparkling waters taste different. Like to me, regular flavor LaCroix tastes like regular flavor Topo Chico tastes like, um, like I, I guess when you go to a gas station and you buy like the brand name sparkling water, you can tell that that's not the same as the other brands. Yeah. But I don't know if it's just that I don't have too discerning of a palate when it comes to that. Um, I, I guess I don't. Um, but it's crazy that they make these wild flavors like key lime yeah. or like pomegranate. And yeah. you taste it, and, and it just tastes like fruit stripes gum or something, or Skittles, yeah. and there's nothing in it. You know, like you, yeah. you're not taking in all the sugar. You know, like there's nothing. It's just water. It's uh, what do they call it? Naturally essenced or whatever. Yeah, uh, it's pretty wild. Yeah, yeah, uh, but it's like I, I like bubbles. That's my thing. You know, like uh, I've I've been having a hard time. You know, like I was really good for about a year. Like I didn't really touch soda that often. Like I would have like one like meal maybe once every other week. And then like I found myself just like when we did have the monster sponsorship, like um, I was just drinking monsters all day. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I got used to having something carbonated. So with trying with this, I was just like, you know, I'll try this. And Honestly, like, you know, I, I live in North Hollywood, so, you know, there's there's a few, there's a few, you know, uh, like bodegas and shit up here, and I can't find any Topo anywhere I go. Not any flavored ones anyway, because it's like, I just want to buy a case of Topo, and I'd be like, you know what, I'm fine for a while. I got something that I enjoy yeah. that has a little bit of flavor, but like, you know, this shit has like calories. It's, I mean, it's like 15 calories per can, fucking 100 grams of sodium. 13 grams of carbs like i might as i might as well just be fucking sucking down i think i think a diet soda might be might be better to drink than this you know what i mean uh but it it, but it does have riboflav flavin whatever the fuck that is that's good is that good or bad i think that's good i think it's it's, uh, this one says it's like uh riboflavin vitamin b2 okay i don't know niacin what the fuck is niacin i don't know Sounds like a gent band, if you ask me. Gent, what is gent? That's not even a re- that's not even a real genre, dude. Don't you it's know? It's not. It's not. <laughs> we printed a shirt that said that uh, on it last month, and uh, the internet got mad at us. 
<laughs> We've had that before and the internet always kind of just like, well, what are you talking about? Of course it is. And it's always the gent bands and the people who like think that, you know, Veil of Maya invented Jen or something like, but nothing against Veil of Maya. Like they're awesome. I fucking love that band. But yeah, uh, yeah. like, you know, it's, it, it's always like 19 year old kids who, who are the most militant about that stuff. You know? um, <laughs> how dare you? Honestly, uh, I was going to wear the periphery shirt that the one, the most, the most recent one I bought, which was the um, helpy Gilmore t-shirt oh yeah that that was me and matt's idea by the way we came up with that idea in a phone call and it was too stupid to not try out it was amazing it was amazing <laughs> but uh I, I got too fat for it so quarantine I, man yeah <laughs> fucking quarantine should be called quarantine no that was, that was <laughs> lame are you ready <laughs> but yeah so i know you've been i know you've been writing the new haunted shores record which i'm super stoked for because um i have the I pre-ordered the first one when it came out, Visceral. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, that came with a super dope Haunted Shores t-shirt that I'm still too fat to fit in. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I was super stoked uh, to be able to get you on here because you are now my third return guest from the old podcast. Yeah. Which we did in LA. At what that was? It? That was the Regency. The Regency. I had, it was so, like, dude, I got there at, like, 11 o'clock in the morning because I was, you know, I was communicating with with Rosie, uh, and he's just like, yo, just get there when you can. Like, we're going to be there, and, you know, they have sound check, and they have some other stuff to do, and I was like, all right, well, I'll just get there, and you tell me when Mark has, like, an hour or whatever. I felt so bad that day because you were, I mean, we took out so much of your time just making you wait because I wasn't (laughs) available for so long, and I was just, I was just like, man, we made this poor motherfucker just wait. I was (laughs) expecting to sit down with you and you to be all resentful and be like, so tell me about your stupid fucking day, Mark. (laughs) So not that. You you were the opposite. No, dude, honestly, I was just happy to be there. Like, I hadn't gone to a show in a while, and during that time, I was still doing, um, I was still doing Vimic. Um, with Jed Simon from Strap Young Lad, Joey Jordison. Uh, and like, I wasn't like touring really at all for probably like a seven year period. Like, I think I did like the most touring I did during that time was I think like maybe six months worth of touring. Yeah. So like, honestly, I was just happy to be there and, you know, I was doing a podcast with you and then I did a podcast with James Leach from sixth. So it was, you know, that's right. Yeah. You know, I got, I, I got, um, you know, I got, you know, I got a couple weeks worth of content there and, you know, I had fun. You know, Rosie was nice enough to, uh, James had forgotten to put me on the guest list for, <laughs> for that show. So Rosie, Rosie got me uh, all access, all access for that show. So, <laughs> you know, and, you know, I was able to hang out with you guys and, uh, it was funny. There was, there was a picture that went around and, uh, all my friends kept sending to me cause I wasn't sure if it was, uh, the periphery Twitter or if it was the sixth Twitter, or maybe it might have been Misha or Dan Wells, I can't remember. But uh, there's a picture of all of us um, in the in the backstage area in your guys's dressing room, where it's like sixth, um, some of the guys from Chon, um, you know, all of you guys, and like we're all about to you know have like a shot of Maker's Mark or something. And all my friends are like, dude, is that you hanging out backstage with Periphery? <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, man. You should have been like, yeah, man. You you should you should know how many security guards I had to blow to get back. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, no. but yeah, so it was, it was super cool, you know, for us to be able to 
to do this once more. You know, I know it's been, fuck, I think it's been like two, two, two or three records since that happened. And uh, that was, I think that was the first tour that you guys did sans Nolly. Nolly. Right. I remember we talked about that. In fact, uh, that was a big, uh, that was a big thing that was weighing on all of our minds. And when you, when you brought that up, I remember I had a lot to say about it and I had a lot of feelings around it, mixed feelings. Uh, and now it just seems like, you know, this is periphery. I don't even think about, you know, ever the fact that we don't have Nolly in the band anymore. But back then it was a big, scary thing to not have a bass player on stage for, for a multitude of reasons. But it's kind of the way our band is now. Like we have Nolly play bass on the records. We just don't have a bass player up there. We have bass on tracks on Mm -hmm. stage and it goes against kind of every old school, uh, feeling i have in my body yeah. you know down to my core because the first time that occurred to me it's like we're gonna have bass tracks on stage and not have a bass player the iron maiden metallica freaking yeah, yeah, yeah. guy inside of me was like okay that's that's stupid and it's something that i'm never gonna do and we started to talk about it and come to grips with it and say to ourselves like what are the alternatives hire an outsider hire somebody who we don't trust and yeah. you know in periphery we've always been big on vetting people not only just our band members but our crew everybody yeah. in our management everybody who we work with down to sponsors companies everybody and the idea of tr- just trying to suss out a bass player on the fly when oh, we were you so guys would have gotten the worst of the worst too right and and, you and, know, and that's like... <laughs> yeah we we were absolutely not going to ever do auditions because we didn't want to be just pin cushions for for you know yeah. the average joe sending in videos of them playing icarus lives wrong and uh... <laughs> actually actually i'm sorry to cut you off but this reminds me of something and um i know i know you weren't uh i know you came in like the tail end of the first the first record touring cycle yeah. um but uh i talked about this with charlie engine you know he uh, he was on the podcast uh, a couple months ago and uh, we were out with, it was us, Three Days Grace, Five Finger Death Punch, and Fire from the Gods. And, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes the bad boys, that's what that's what we call ourselves. Sometimes the bad boys, like, you know, get down, get a little turnt, you know. Yeah. And uh, I remember uh, Doc's girlfriend was uh, had just flown out. Um, John's girlfriend had just flown out. And, you know. So we were all hanging out. It was like, uh, it was like, you know, me, Doc, John, Chris, uh, Charlie from Death Punch. I think Brad from Three Days Grace was, we're all hanging out, you know, sipping, having a good time. And, uh, John just starts playing. He's like, bro, you guys, you guys gotta shut up. You guys gotta listen to this. And he's, and he, and he played like the first. I don't know, like 15 seconds of like Icarus lives. He's like, yo, once this, once this drops in, it's so heavy, (laughs) but he did it like seriously, like seven times in a row. I was like, John, just let the fucking song play. We've all done this when this record first came out. Like we get it. It's a fucking banger when it finally kicks in. You know what I mean? And, uh, (laughs) but he just wouldn't let up. Like you think it would like oh you he'll do it like a couple times like no he did it like fuck it, literally like seven times in a row oh man that that riff that riff has a has the ability to grab people I remember the first time I heard it too 
it just was stuck in my head always. And I, I heard that riff back in like 2006, 2007 or something like that. And yeah, it always became the first song that people associated periphery with from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And now like people will hum it at shows, like not even call for the song, just hum the riff. And it's, it's, it's gotten to the point where fans expect us to play it live and we are so sick of playing it live that I don't think we've played that song in, in several years because we got so burnt out on playing it, you know? And, and I don't think you played it that night at the Regent. Okay. So maybe it's more than a couple of years. Okay. I mean, yeah, yeah at least to my, to my knowledge, I, I didn't get too crazy that night, but yeah, I don't, I don't remember you guys ended with loon yeah. that night. Yeah. Cause I know it's been the closer since then. I think since that yeah. tour, it's been the, the closing song for almost every show we've played since 2015, 2016. Yeah. It was right before P3 came out. And I remember you guys were just like, I think I saw like some video. It was like the documentary of like P3 or whatever. And you guys talking about like, yeah, this is the fucking, this is the closing song. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It had to be. So how is writing for haunted shores? Number two, I'm sorry. We kind of like, you know, we drifted off into a different direction, but I, I I wanted to remember to tell you that story because I thought it was fucking hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's going well, man. Everything's, everything's uh, moving along here. You know, I, I I mentioned this to, to, to doc last month, but uh, my, my quarantine has been based around me just trying to get better at identified weaknesses about myself as a musician. And yeah, I feel like it's a great time for for musicians to do that since we go out can't go out and tour, mm-hmm. you know, performing our job, doing the things we are meant to do is a little bit tougher, and it kind of limits the amount of things that we can really put work into right now. Unless we want to go and do something new, which uh, which I don't really, you know, I, I want to get better at the things that I identify as weaknesses about myself, and that's been recording and being my own sort of engineer, my own producer. Mm-hmm. Uh, at home and and documenting uh, my ideas so yeah i bought a new like when coronavirus hit uh, in march last year i uh, i invested a bunch of money into new monitors uh, for my studio a uh, new laptop a uh, bunch of new gear and i just started recording more and that turned very quickly into a couple new hard shore songs and i was like I, I told misha i was like i think i have I think I have the basis of something here. Like I think I had the beginning of something and he really dug the material that I was writing. I sent him a couple songs. Uh, I flew out to his place and, uh, and we got to work and we have half the record done and, and I've written a couple more songs since then. And uh, it's just a, it's just a matter of me doing one more sort of um, retreat writing retreat with Misha where we can uh, glue everything together track everything and then the record's basically done you know short of mixing so the material is is pretty wild i mean you you mentioned viscera i mean viscera was kind of like this experiment to see how dark and how fast we could make haunted shores you know Mm -hmm. and it wasn't the most melodic record and i think the material that i'm working on now has a lot more melody but it's also just it's just riffs it's the riffiest thing i've ever done and i think that's the result of me being here alone just sort of hunkered down and, and focusing on uh on recording myself because I, I feel like i can push the amount of riffs i can cram together i feel like i can push my sort of composition abilities uh in this environment so so yeah i mean that that's been a large part of my uh my 2020 i guess 
Yeah, dude. I mean, I did something super similar because um, when we got home from Europe, like we had kind of heard about like the coronavirus, but it wasn't like, you know, us being cocky Americans like ah, that ain't going to fucking happen here. You know what yeah, I mean? It's not going to touch us. Did you, yeah. did you guys get home just before? We got home. Our last show was in Budapest, Hungary on February 20th. Oh, wow. We were so in I, we were in Milan, Italy a week before they they shut it down. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So we were Damn. we were super lucky. None of us to my knowledge, none of us had gotten corona while we were in while we were in Milan. Yeah. Wow. That's that was uh that wasn't that like the the first terror the, the first part of Italy that got hit real bad. Was, yeah, was because Milan? so a lot of because uh, Milan is like the fashion, mm-hmm. um, like the fashion epicenter of uh, of Italy, and there's a lot of people that you know would fly back and forth from you know that area of Wuhan to to Milan, right. and so like it was like Wuhan, China, and then Milan, Italy mm. were like the two like the two major major areas that got massively i mean we all are kind of massively hit by it now but at the beginning that's those were like the two areas that got it the worst i believe right right but um yeah i remember seeing that stuff on the news and and being like i hope none of my friends are out there touring those regions by now but you guys got about as close as as it gets to being stuck there or 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 being you know well, I know Testament was a few weeks behind us, like mm. two weeks behind us. They had a very similar touring route. And I know like, I think like Chuck Billy got, got coronavirus. I know Steve DiGiorgio got coronavirus and um, yeah, they all kind of came home and I think like half the band and crew got it. Mm-hmm. Damn. I mean, you know, luckily they've all, you know, they've all recovered from it. But, um, but yeah, I mean, dude, I, I, I did the exact same thing. You know, I kind of just, uh. Uh, I had a little bit of cash from the band starting the beginning of the year. And, and uh, I was like, all right, I want to start recording. And I had this old 12 year old MacBook pro, like the 2012, 12 MacBook pro, you know, I tried upgrading the, the Ram and the, and the, and the hard drive, but you know, the, the CPU intensive plugins that are out these days, like I was just bottlenecking constantly. So I was just like, well, what can I do to, you know, Cause I, you know, I know I have a friend who works at, at Apple and, uh, he's like, you know, I can give you a discount, but it's still a lot of money. So I just decided to, you know, I opened the store. That's where, you know, the, the cyber conk t-shirt came from and, yeah, you know, just kind of started selling goofy, goofy pics and autographs. And within a week I was able to, to fund a, you know, a $4,000 MacBook pro. That's and, awesome. uh, and, you know, I invested in, you know, different, uh, you know, plugins and programs. And right now I'm kind of just working on my mixing because I've kind of figured out my workflow in Logic now where I can pretty much get everything, pretty much get everything done. Like I, I have this little drum pad here, you know, that I, you know, I, for the most part, I'll just go to, because I have Superior Drummer 3, so I'll do the tap to find. And uh, if I can't find something, then I'll fucking program it or draw it into the into the piano roll. And uh, I have I have my workflow pretty much figured out, but it was I wasn't very good at mixing. Like I would just record it, send it to the boys. Hey guys, what do you think? They'd be like, dude, you really got to start working on like at least somewhat <laughs> of a production. So you yeah. know, I looked up on like you know YouTube and text some friends who 
you know, do their own kind of, you know, mixing when they're doing demos and stuff. And they're just like, oh man, high pass, low pass filters, man. You got to figure that shit out. So I was like, all right. So I started, you know, doing YouTube and, you know, I've had some friends send me some plugins where to where it's like, you know, here, now your stuff won't sound like you literally just fucking recorded and bounced it. And, uh, you know, and then I do this thing where I use my headphones and then I put in my earbuds and I'm like, okay, earbuds, it's too bassy. I got to turn, I got to fix this. And I've been kind of just spending my time more recently doing that and just trying to figure out, you know, where I am as a songwriter because like I'm, I'm, I'm a riff guy. I'm not really a, a songwriter. Like, yo, if you need a verse riff or like an intro riff, I got you. But like, if you want a song of substance, that is my weakest point. So it's just trying to like, you know, I've been taking uh, music theory lessons and I've been taking vocal lessons to just try to figure out, you know, like what exactly makes a song a song. And I'm trying to figure out like, okay, cool. A lot of the time now I'm trying to write the chorus and build the song around it instead of like, okay, here's the intro riff. And now I got nothing, you know, Yeah, yeah, yeah. because I would, that was my thing is I would send like a minute or two of like something that's like an intro and a verse, but then there's nothing else. They're like, cool. Where's the hook? Where's this? Where's that? So that's kind of what I've been doing. And honestly, I've been listening to a lot of pop music and writing a lot of synth stuff and kind of focus using that technique of writing the chorus first and building the verses around it to try to help me write catchy metal metal songs so you know that's kind of my like my my weak weak spot right now and uh you know luckily having nothing but time i hope you know by the time that this is um the the lockdowns and shit are over that i'm like all right cool this is what i've done you know i was planning on releasing a a synth wave record but you know i don't even know if if that'll if that'll ever if that'll ever be or if it'll just live in my live in my computer <laughs> a synth wave record yeah, yeah yeah really is that something i didn't know you you did that on the side i had no idea well i mean i don't i haven't posted any music like, i think mm-hmm. like the most i've done is like i did a twitch and i was re uh i mean I'm not sure if you can actually reamp MIDI, but I was going through a song that I had written with uh, stock Logic pro, uh, plugin, synth plugins, and because I had bought in some stuff from Arturia and uh, and Serum and you know a couple of other things, so I was just kind of going through all the stuff. Like, all right, here's the baseline. Let's go through all the base <laughs> the bases on uh, you know the bass sounds on this this certain this certain synth or this certain synth, and I would just kind of like made made the song sound a bit different than what it was because it sounded too fucking, I don't know, it sounded like too Sonic the Hedgehog to me with every, like, <laughs> eight, eight bit, you know, eight bit sounding bass and, you know, so, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's kind of just for fun. Like I've been really getting more into, like, I love, I still love heavy music, but I think like, you know, touring for almost three years straight doing, you know, heavy metal, uh, heavy metal concerts pretty much, you know, 200 days a year i just got like real burnt out like i feel like there has there there had to have been like something super special super special to catch my ear around that time and uh it was just kind of me just kind of getting into you know like pop music and then like john got super obsessed with this song uh from this band called the night game and uh and then that's kind of where it started so i think like the summer of like 2018 or 19 i don't remember 
But, uh, you know, I would play that song on Spotify and then I would have stuff that would pop up that would be like, oh, you might like this. Oh, you might like this. And I just kind of went into the rap, the Spotify algorithm rabbit hole of, uh, you know, synth based pop music. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 I think people are surprised when they find out that guys in metal bands or gals in metal bands, they, uh, they listen to like, okay, I posted a picture cause I was jamming Radiohead this morning, like old Radiohead, mm-hmm. uh, like the Ben's era. And I got a couple of comments be like, why the fuck? What? You listen to Radiohead? And I'm like, to me, that doesn't make sense. Like, why would you be surprised that I listened to one of the objectively one of the coolest, most original? Uh, they're a progressive band to me, you know, like they're yeah, a yeah. prog band in, in my opinion. But uh, I, I think people don't really realize that when you do this for a living, when you're touring and playing metal and metal is your life and you're surrounded by it, you live and breathe it that you need something else that you yeah. need to recharge with something else, whether it's like writing synthwave music or writing pop music, or just listening to a band like Sigaros or, 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 or Radiohead or whoever. But like, I, I don't know, like I, I always find it funny when people are shocked by it. Cause it's like, yeah, like nobody listens to one style of music, you know? Yeah. I mean, I was definitely, when I was in my late teens, early twenties, I was definitely, you know, a metal elitist. And, yeah. uh, you know, but as I've gotten older, like, you know, like I like, t- typically for the most part, when we're in the dressing room, you know, listening to music and stuff like before or after the show, you know, it's typically for the most part, it's not heavy metal. Yeah. Like, you know, like, I mean, you know, we've even been known to listen to some Nickelback back there. You know what I mean? Okay. But, but like, you know, we get down with like me and John, especially, um, get down with like eighties, eighties pop. Like yeah. Tears for Fears, Huey Lewis yeah. and the News. Yeah, you know. us too. Yeah, yeah, us too. Bill Collins, Genesis, yeah. Peter Gabriel, yeah. Depeche Mode, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, I always think I always find it funny. Like people seem like so surprised. Like, wow, you don't listen to 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 metal all the time. I'm like. <laughs> Uh, yeah, sometimes. I'm I mean, not 15. A, yeah. yeah well, I, I was the same. I went through a stage where everything that didn't have blast beats in it was stupid and should be canceled. Uh, well, canceled didn't, the word canceled didn't exist back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or, or, or like if there was clean singing, I'd be like, no, fuck this pussy. No, it's stupid. It's stupid. <laughs> Where's the double kick? Where's the 30 second no double kicks? This guy doesn't play like Pete Sandoval from Open Angel. It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> this doesn't sound like despised icon to me. Get it out of here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe uh, we all need a phase like that. Maybe that's just part of youth. Maybe uh, uh metal elitism. Yeah. Maybe everyone needs to go through a phase, you know, a, a rebellious, I don't give a fuck. Like mm-hmm. everything else is stupid phase. Yeah. To give your perspective. It's almost like uh, it's, it's part of uh, your, your training wheels to be, to become an adult, you know, I don't know. I was also like one of those guys who would like buy super overpriced like old death metal band t-shirts on eBay. Like I had like, just to have it. Think it was like it's like some stamp of uh Yeah. Like I had this hipness. like first run emulation t-shirt from like their first record. And it was like super shitty artwork. It was like literally someone drew a guy on fire and then it had like emulation above it but it was like it was just a black shirt with white ink and that was it so it's like a super shitty picture of a guy on fire like someone drew it you know what i mean like in paint or something 
Do you think you ever got cred for it? Like if you're ever walking down the street and someone was like, dude, that guy's shirt. No. That guy must be cool. Or a girl ever saw it and be like, I need to mate with that guy. <laughs> no. No. No, nobody thought my fucking Once Upon the Cross deicide shirt was fucking dope. You know what I mean? <laughs> Except for I, my friends. <laughs> I, I found an Emperor baseball shirt one time. I don't know how. I think I found it somewhere in Southern California. It was a baseball tee. It had like, you know, three quarter length sleeves. And I think had, I remember I think I remember you wearing that. Yeah, it had an Emperor logo. I still have it downstairs, but I wore that probably five days out of the week because it was such a cool shirt. And I just, I was like, I couldn't believe that I could find something this cool. And Emperor is like one of my favorite bands. And I just remember thinking, I'm so cool. <laughs> no, the, the only real time I felt like I was like, yo, I'm a badass. So um, one of my buddies, Matt Wicklin, he used to play for a band called Himza, you know, and he had played with uh, Chris Amott in uh, a newer version of Armageddon. Was he not in uh, God Forbid too? Yeah, he was in God Forbid as well. That's right. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've known Matt since I was 17 years old. I'll be 35 this year, so, you know, almost 20 years. And um, he was staying with me at one point, and this was post, like, Chris Amott was trying to bring Armageddon back together, but then it didn't really do anything, and then he just kind of started doing the Chris Amott band or whatever. And I remember Matt was like, yo, I want you to have this, because he knew I was into, like, black metal and shit, and he knew that I liked fucking stupid random t-shirts but the color was like it was like a, a like the heather like the pe t-shirt fucking gray yeah but it was a hoodie and it was a burzum ashke hoodie and uh i was like damn this is actually fucking sick dude and he goes yo i got that from chris amont and chris amont got it from varg vikrans back in the day oh no, he did it really yeah <laughs> really so i had a fucking a varg gifted uh, Burzum Ashke hoodie, and I think, like, I mean, I was probably twenty at the time, and I think, I think, like, an ex girlfriend stole it or something. Oh man, we gotta track her down. That's straight <laughs> from the Count Grishnak himself. That's I crazy. know. <laughs> I mean, you know, Varg isn't really, you know, uh, revered as like a, a great person, but you know, I mean, at the time, you know, Burzum and Dark Throne, especially, you know, back then, I mean, you know, they were. Uh, you know, they were kind of, you know, super inf influential to the black metal scene, you know? Oh, and man. I I mean, I don't know if we've ever talked about this before, but I went through a phase of my life where all I cared about was black metal. And this Same. was maybe from 1999 to 2003. Uh, I was living in Spain, oddly enough. And, uh, Is there a lot of black metal in Spain? No, not at all. But no Spanish black metal bands. No, no Spanish black metal in, in the hills of Granada. no, no, no Negro Muerte. No, <laughs> <laughs> Necro Butcher Mayhem. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, just this proximity to Europe got me into a lot of more European bands. You know, I, I never got into power metal so much. That was always the one genre that eluded me. I could. Just I did never... for a super short amount of time. I'm so I'm sorry to cut you off. I did for a super short amount of time, but then it kind of all just started like you know, Evergrey and Dragon Force was kind of like the pinnacle. I mean, I'm sure you know people are gonna give me shit for this kind, but I meant like when it, the pinnacle of catchy, right? Like power metal, right? Know? And even like power metal elitists won't even call Dragon Force power metal. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah, fans yeah. of Rhapsody and Blind Guardian. Yeah. You you would have to waterboard one of them to get them to say that Dragon Force is power metal. <laughs> you know? And to me, like I I always agree. It's like Dragon Force, like they make power metal cool and, yeah. and accessible. 
And uh, it's kind of like how Cradle of Filth never got called black metal. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I love Cradle. And, and, and eventually people started making fun of Dimu, calling them, you know, fake black metal and whatever. But they I got was a little just... bit of mainstream popularity. Right, right. I mean, yo, right, but right. Puritanical, dude, that record, yeah. like, uh, that, that was, that's the record that kind of got them more popular in the mainstream. Yep. But I'm like, yo, that's a beast of a record. Yep. And yep. the progeny or whatever the fuck the next record's called the progeny of the apocalypse uh is all great record as well i mean my favorite record came out right before that which was um enthroned darkness triumphant yeah i mean dude just that din 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 yeah i'm just like yeah yeah but the thing is the thing okay we're about to get a little nerdy for a second is there are two things one was no there's three things about that jump from enthroned darkness triumphant to puritanical was one the mix holy shit like oh, the mix dude. the mix came to life and it sounded modern and, and enormous. that production was ridiculous yeah uh two nick barker on drums fuck yeah uh, and, and the size of the drums in the mix and how loud and punchy his kicks were and that dude was just a fucking wizard like and he'd been playing cradle before that and he, he mm-hmm. jumped to dimu uh and, and lock was, up. yeah and lock up yeah um and three the riffs, like they were riffs. Uh, yeah, you, you remember the first? Uh, was it ble- blessings upon the throne? The, the the first actual song that there's that yeah. galloping. Yeah, that's a riff. Like the, yeah. like I liked previous demo because of how atmospheric it was mm-hmm. and how like it, it sounded like really synth driven, dark, moody black metal to me. Yeah, uh, but then when Puritanical came out. They had riffs. They had these crazy syncopated double kick patterns that Nick Barker was doing. Guitar solos. Guitar solos. And it was this like black metal spirit meets modern riffing. And it just sounds like the end of the world. And they didn't let up like the the next, what is it? Death Cult. Death Cult was the next Death Cult Armageddon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Death Cult, yeah. Um, And they had a couple records like in that time that were just like genre bending, you know, and and. I consider that black metal. I know a lot yeah. of people like say that's not black metal, but to me, like that's well. I mean, black dude, metal. if you look at who was in that band at that time, I mean, you know, we all know Shagrath is, you know, he's obviously the voice of that band, but he also, um, you know, he wrote the um, uh, composition of all because there was a lot of actual, you know, wind players on that band. They had actual orchestras. Yep. You know, especially yeah. in Death Cold Armageddon. But like yeah. the another thing from when they jumped from from Enthroned Darkness Triumphant to Puritanical was when they added fucking Vortex on, yes, on right. bass, bass singing, guitar. Yeah. Which yeah, was yeah. just this huge fucking massive scary Swedish yeah. but he's like operatic voice and Yeah, yeah. They had wait, they had one record in between, Spiritual Black Dimensions, right? Uh, the, that? So that's actually the second record. Okay. For all See, for all Tid yeah. for all Tid is is uh, is the first is the first. So the, so it's like for all Tid, which was all in Norwegian. Yes. Uh, there was spiritual black dimensions. There was enthroned darkness triumphant. There was puritanical. Then there was uh, progenies of the apocaly- apocalypse, and then death cult Armageddon. Uh, okay, I thought progenies was a song off of death cult. I could you, be. You know what? You might. Be, you know what? Where's where's? Let's little... ask Jeeves. You know what? I'll just I got I got fucking Spotify right here. I'm gonna look up, I'm gonna look up Dimmu right <laughs> I now. I like how black how much of a black metal nerd you are. I didn't know this about you. Oh, I mean, dude, like, and, but I was super picky with with the uh, with with my black metal. Like, yeah. it had to be, you know, like I listened to Arcturus. You know, yeah, I listened they were to, great. 
And, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of people kind of make fun of, uh, um, uh, homie from Immortal, but like, yo, yeah, uh, riffs, riffs, yeah, riffs, um, lots of riffs. Let's see, Abbas, Abbas, Immortal, that's yeah. Great. Uh, where this storm, also oh, Storm Blast, there was Storm Blast as well, Death Cult, Armageddon. You know what? You're right. Um, 2001, and then Death Cult Armageddon came out in 2003. So it was, it was uh, Spiritual Black Dimensions. Uh, came out in 1999, so I think you are you are you are correct. So it was, so enthroned, it was yeah. yeah. So it was enthroned, uh, spiritual black dimensions, and there's like a whole bunch of shit that I haven't even looked at for like forever. The first record came out. <laughs> this one says 97, but I really think it came out earlier than that. Yeah, it had to be because enthroned darkness triumphant came out in 97. Yeah, storm blast. Or so it was for all tits. Storm blast. And then so forth. But. And then they re-recorded Stormblast after Death Cult, if I'm not mistaken. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So they had the 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 remix of that. I'm always kind of weary, like when bands do that, because I feel like when you re-record something, like it doesn't seem to like have that magic. Like who who just did that recently, where they re-recorded some stuff and in put flames. Some, yeah, in flames. Now don't get me wrong, I loved in flames, and Clayman was one of my favorite fucking records. You know, the Jester yeah. races and Clayman. But it just didn't have that same, that same magic. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I think it was, yeah. Sorry, sorry to, to no, to no, no. In. I, I think it's tricky with that record. I remember hearing it. I thought it was cool, like the the new songs that they put out, or the, sorry, not the new songs, but the songs they re-recorded off Clayman. I think it's it's just tricky with the fan base because one, those songs are revered just as songs, and yeah. two, it's got one of the most iconic mixes of all of all time in metal. Yeah. It's got that studio Fredman Gothenburg mix, this like yeah. size and weight to it that became the prototype for a style for a, for a style of mix. Yeah. And and doing a take on that, you know, however many years later, what 20 years later, yeah. It just seemed like oh, like when I saw that they were doing that, I was like, oh man. I, and and I know what it's like to see backlash from fans because our 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 fans can be quite picky and quite vocal when uh, when they don't like something and and you know, and, and I know you should you have guys, seen ours this past week <laughs> oh yeah i can imagine we'll get to that in a second i'm sure but uh, um i i hurt for them a little bit because i was like man they're it's, it's almost like a like a lose-lose kind of thing it's like yeah like they're classic songs and it's cool to hear the new members take on those songs but uh it's it's like an impossible order to be able to, to top those but you know i at, at the same time i don't know if their goal was to top it, it maybe just to have fun which i respect and they, they yeah. were doing whatever the fuck they wanted which i respect even more so so yeah but go, going back to some to some black metal, like I said, you know, I'm 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 super super duper picky when it when it came to my black metal. Like, uh, I'm kind of like going through like some some stuff. Like, if it wasn't for Puritanical, because I was an old man's child fan, like before oh, yeah. before Galder, bef yeah, before yeah. Galder joined joined Demu. But like yeah. one of my favorite albums wouldn't have never been made without Puritanical, and that's the In Defiance of Existence. Um, you know, black seeds on virgin soil and yeah. fucking, you know, agony of fallen grace and shit like Great. that. I haven't thought about old man's child in forever. Damn, I got to go revisit that. Dude, I'm going to, do you have a Spotify? Yeah. I'm going to send you, it's called, uh, I, I call it my Euro swing rock, but it's pretty much <laughs> yeah. like soil work in flames, fucking, uh, the haunted, 
um, immortal. You ever, you ever jam hypocrisy? See, hypocrisy was one of the bands that I really just couldn't get into, and I, and it, and it sucks because like I I've I've seen them live, you know, and I was like, cool, they sound great, but it's just like it was just one of those bands that I never really really got into. Like I feel like I was on. I was on like one side or the other. It was like the super underground fucking black metal bands, like, you know, like Dark Throne and Burzum and fucking yeah. and shit like that. Or it was just like the more, uh, you know, more known in mainstream bands, like, you know, like Sword Cradle of Filth. Flames, yeah. 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 So, you know, and, and Demon Borgir and fucking Cradle of Filth. I've, but I mean, I've been like. On a- I've been on a huge soil work kick lately, like going back to Predator's Portrait and yeah. Natural Born Chaos and Dude, like, Natural Born Chaos and fucking um what's the one uh what's the one that came out? It was right after five. Or maybe it was right before that. What's the fucking God, I'm so bad at album names, dude. I'm really glad I have everything right here. It was after favorite. Predator's Portrait? It was after um Natural Born Chaos. Oh, um, the red one, stabbing the drama. Stabbing the drama. That was the first one with Dirk on it, with Dirk Verbeeren. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and God, did he add something to that? I remember, I love the drummer who the, whose name escapes me. The the drummer on the first bunch of records, mm-hmm. I don't remember his name, but he was killer. He had this like really nice, uh, tasteful sensibility. Like he wouldn't ever overplay. And then yeah. when they lost him, I was like, oh God, that's like one of my favorite parts of solo work. And then Dirk came on. And I'd never heard him before, and he was just doing some crazy shit. In dude, terms he has a, of he has a, his own blast beat named after him. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And dude, I've seen that guy. Like, all right, so I didn't realize when I was, you know, again, just more segues into <laughs> whatever. Yeah. But uh, so when I was going to jam with with Dev and Wes and Dirk for seventy k, I didn't know that Dirk actually did a lot of the drums on the songs we played because we played a lot of the stuff from. Uh, Fuck! What's that record with like Jalar and Poltergeist? And, Deconstruction. Yeah, he did a lot of drums on Deconstruction, and uh, like I watched that motherfucker do a Dirk blast for like an entire song, and I'm just like, what, what? And honestly, so our tracks went out on the second. Like we were playing on the on the. Uh, there's footage of it where I like kick a fucking beach ball and it knocks over Devin's mic stand and fucking oh, none of the tracks are working. And <laughs> but uh, honestly, I and I've said this before, like. Dirk is like, like I don't want to, you know, talk. I'm not talking talking bad about any of the drummers I've ever worked with, but Dirk is just a different kind of fucking musician. Yeah, like there's guys who are like a little bit behind the beat, a little bit in front of the beat, like right on the beat. Like Dirk just has this precision, perfect timing, but there's also not a stiffness to it. Like it's like got like its own swing. Yeah. And he's just every fucking like you think you're playing with a drum machine. It's really fucking weird to like, you know, sometimes when you have a drummer, you know, you look back like, bro, what the fuck was that? You know, yeah. but like with Dirk, it was never it was never like fucking like I, I it was almost like I said, like just playing with a drum machine. It was like I never we never had to worry about Dirk. And that actually made my job so much easier because I'm like, yo, some of these songs are pretty fucking nuts. Like, you know, I know Dirk's a great drummer, but I didn't know how great he was until I actually played with him. And I'm like, oh, I I don't even have to worry about that guy. I can literally just focus on my shit. And it was it was amazing. I'm pretty jealous. I'm pretty jealous you've got to jam with I'm jealous of myself. That was a year ago now, and I wish I could go back and do it again, you know? (laughs) 
Yeah, man. Have you ever heard uh, Scarve? Have you ever heard mm-hmm. his old his old project? That yeah. shit. Like, I remember there there's um there's a record. I forget the name of it. I don't know any song titles or album names, but I remember I was obsessed with this Scarve song I heard on MySpace in the mid two thousands. Mm-hmm. And I always, I, I still go back to that song sometimes, and it was the inspiration for a new Haunted Shore song I did, because <laughs> uh, no. it's got a, it's got a cool Dirk blast and a cool intro. But I'll, I'll look it up. But uh, yeah, Dirk Verbeeren, man, MVP. Yeah, seriously. And I mean, you know, going back to what you're saying, like, like that, that's been my favorite thing is just like, I try to remember all the songs that you know have been given, that have given me some sort of inspiration, or you know, what else. And uh, I, I go back and I try to find all these songs on Spotify, and that's why you know I've made all these you know weird playlists. Like I said, I have the Euro Swing Rock, which is basically you know the melodic metal from you know like Soil Work and Flames, you know down in Scar Symmetry to like you know At the Gates, Carcass, Dima Borgir, Semel, and Tomb, Dark Throne, Emperor, you know, yeah. and like yeah. all that shit. And, the, and then, I, then I have one that's like Death Metal Dance Party. That's uh. <laughs> I mean, like, these were, like, all of the super popular, like, I mean, however popular you can get being a death metal band, but, like, all the super popular, like, tech tech and death metal songs, you know, like Cannibal Corpse, Cryptopsy, ne- Necrophagist, Dying Fetus, Suffocation, Hate Eternal, like, fucking... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like oh, I said, man. dude, I was a metal elitist for a long time. <laughs> I think we would have been, I think we would have been friends, because, like, my, my problem living in Spain at the time was... Like my brother was into heavy music too. And I had one or two more friends that kind of were into that. But for the most part, it was just me and my brother listening to weird music, like weird heavy music that nobody else could get into in my high school. And yeah, I was a junior and nobody nobody was into that style of music. So I remember like, you know, wearing a malevolent creation shirt until I found out they were racist. Uh, yeah. And uh and or like, you know, a morbid angel, like a covenant shirt or blessed are the sick shirt and like getting looked at weird i always wanted that experience like when i heard like when i moved back to the states later and i heard like you know some of my new friends that i made like yeah i I would hang out with my buds and sit around a living room and we would start bands and drink beer together and just listen to freaking cryptopsy and i was like man it was such an isolated it, it, it was such an isolationist kind of thing for me you know like i would just sit there with headphones listening to really dark ugly types of music and that was my upbringing with it. So when it came to being social and playing in bands and getting to know other people, even talking about it with you right now, it's kind of weird because to me, this was such a personal thing growing up, like looking at the emperor artwork, looking at mayhem's artwork, looking at Satyricon artwork and being like, this is like from a different fucking planet. Yeah. And I I like Zyklon or Zyklon. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to be part of that. I would have killed to be part of that, to be part of that world when I was a kid. Like that's all I wanted to do. And sometimes, you know, and I think this is relevant, especially now, is when I'm feeling down, when I'm feeling like there's no hope with the coronavirus. When are we going to play shows again? It may not be till 2022 or some shit till we play. Who knows? Like nobody knows. Yeah. And I, I start to get down about things. It's a nice way to remind myself that things ain't that bad because. Yeah. I, and this is just, this is not me bragging. This is me kind of just saying this is how I cope with shit. It's just to say like, look, I like Mark, don't be stupid. You, you, you are in a, in a place where you can call some of these people who you looked up to as peers. 
to to a degree, you know, and Mm -hmm. I'm not calling myself Dirk for beer and I'm not calling myself, you know, X or Y, but I'm saying it's like, I I no longer am that kid on the wall looking at his poster in the room. I I get to call some of these people friends, you know, people I trust, people I can call friends. I don't know. Did you ever get like that? Do I sound No, 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 not at all. I mean, dude, it's really weird when I'm like, you know, fucking texting Devin Townsend, like, hey, bro, you know, how's it going? Because, I mean, like, yo, I remember being, it was like 2006. It was right at the tail end of... Uh, Alien, of it, right? Alien, yeah. yeah. And, like, seeing them at the Whiskey A Go-Go, like, right before... Oh, wait, the, wait, wait. So with Samuel, I was at that show. No, no, actually, actually, it was, it, was, it was the House of Blues with the agony scene. I'm sorry. I didn't go to that one. I, I was living in, I was living in uh, Santa Clarita, California at the time. So I, I drove down to Sunset Boulevard to go catch... Do, do you ever see uh, shows at, like, the Troubadour? Keep... Uh, mm-hmm. not, okay, Troubadour. Okay, we. I, I guarantee you, we were at some of those shows together. Uh, uh, the first, the first death metal show I went to was, I think, in two thousand and five. It was Vital Remains. It was supposed to be the Black Dahlia Murder, but they had to cancel. Cattle decapitation, and it was Vital Remains with Glenn Benton. It right, because that was the Dechristianized record. Yeah, it was the Let yeah. the Killing Begin tour. Dude, that <laughs> that record was crazy. Dude, um, I mean, fucking. Um, What's his name? Um, Ken Suzuki. Like Ken Suzuki, yeah. He, yeah. He, yeah, he, yeah. Amazing guitar player and then like also amazing drummer. <laughs> right, right. That's not fair. I remember I remember hearing that at the time that this, this dude wrote all the music and he played drums and guitar. And I heard the music and I was like, this sounds impossible. Yeah. <laughs> like, that has one of my favorite like... You know, because it has it has kind of like a generic, like you know, uh, operatic, you know, dun, 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 you know. But then, like, you just hear like Glenn Benton coming, let the killing begin, and I, yeah. I just love it. Though. Like that Dechristianized record is like, and it's just it's like even when you're comparing it to like the technicality of bands these days, like yo, that record is not easy to play. No, no, not at all, not at all. I kind of want to go jam it after we're done with this interview. <laughs> um, I might too. <laughs> yeah, uh, when um, so like when Alexi from Children of Bodom passed away a couple weeks yeah, ago, yeah. I uh, yeah, it's funny. Like, I I haven't had Children of Bodom on my radar for for a long time. To be mm-hmm. frank, like I haven't really yeah, same. thought about thought about the band for a while. Uh, I, I'm I'm friends with Yanni, the the keyboardist, uh, in in, in from Finland when we've played shows over there. And uh, that's about the closest I can say I've been to the band and, and, and the freshest they've been on my mind is that I do keep in touch with them. But when Alexi passed, I went and I listened to a bunch of that old stuff and I started to reminisce about those early 2000s days. And I remember one of the first shows I saw uh, coming back to the States from Spain in the early 2000s was I saw, I think it was the House of Blues or or Troubadour. It must have been the House of Blues. It was... It was Demu Borgir headlining, mm-hmm. Nevermore direct support, mm-hmm. and Children of Bodom opening oh, the show. Fuck Jesus! Yeah. It was that's, Bodom, Nevermore, and and, and that's Demu. some heat right there. I know, I know. It must have been 2002, 2003. Yeah. Uh, and I, that show, I, we we just walked away from that show floored. And I was I was in Mexico with Yanni because we played the same festival as them two years ago. Um, and I was talking with him at the at the hotel bar, and I, I was like, I was like, I saw you play, man. Like, how old were you? And he was like, Oh, I was like nineteen or twenty or something. I was like, What? You guys <laughs> were kids. Like, you guys were kids traveling the world, 
uh, you know, opening for demo and stuff. And I was like, what was life like back then? And he was like, dude, I don't fucking know. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I don't know. I was like, so what, what was, was the partying as crazy as it was documented, you know, as, as we perceive it to be. And he was like, dude, it was worse. Like we did so yeah. much damage to ourselves yeah. as kids. Our life was crazy, way worse than we ever let it be seen. Well, so like that, that time, like between like, you know, 1998 and like 2002, you know, there was still kind of like money being thrown around the industry and there wasn't really that social media online presence yet like people were still trying to figure out the internet as a yeah. means of you know you know it's definitely not nowhere near what it is today so it was like you know you could have that you could have fucking 19 year old fucking finnish dudes smashed doing fucking blow off the counters in the bathroom and fucking yeah. nobody knowing about it because like yeah. nobody's there with their fucking pocket cameras you right, know right 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 everything you know? was mysterious yeah yeah um, there was actually no yeah, it was actually a couple of things that like, because um, I, I I was never like not that I didn't appreciate Children Bodum and 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 Alexi Laiho, uh, it's just just one of those bands that I never really you know sat down and you know they weren't really my thing per se you know I respected them as musicians especially the keyboards I don't I don't know why like, I always thought like dude he he's amazing a, he's a freaking nut job he's crazy good as instrument yeah. yeah. But I remember the one thing I got from Alexi, because I'd, I'd met him a few times, was uh, vodka, and then he would dump a whole thing of Fisherman's Friend uh, cough drops in it. So oh. you wouldn't actually taste the booze, but you would taste the kind of mentholated whatever flavor Ooh. you had. Ooh. And those oh. those were those were dangerous nights. <laughs> oh, man. I, I wouldn't even know where to begin hanging out, keeping up with them. I, I remember... You can't. You don't. You yeah. don't. You don't keep up with him. <laughs> I, I've had drinks with Yanni a, a handful of times, and he... Again, this is in the past six, seven years, so they've they've apparently mellowed out. But he, he told me, he was like, the damage was done back then. He was like, now, you know... And what last time I, you know, really had a good hang with him, we went to do karaoke at a bar in, in Helsinki, and you know, we had drinks, but it was nothing, you know, nothing crazy. But he, he told me, it was just like, we, we, we feel like we've aged so much because of how much we've abused ourselves. And like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's sad to say it's like, seems to be the theme with all of our heroes. You know, you see yeah. the examples of it going wrong and you see the examples of the other side too, like with bands like, uh, with kiss, you know, it's like, I don't yeah. know if you ever grew up a kiss fan, but they're all alive. Um, Metallica is all alive and kicking, you know, it's just, it, it sucks to see, some of our heroes not make it all the way like Pantera, you know? Yeah, no, exactly. You know, and you know, I've never been really like when I'm at home, like I'm, I stay, I stay away from the sauce, man, you know? Yeah. And, you know, and being home for, you know, almost a year now, like I can really, I can count on one hand how many times I've, I've had adult beverages, you know? Yeah. And, you know, honestly, I, I can kind of see where it can get out of hand because, you know, like when you're on the, I think the first year we we toured, it was like pretty much like nine months straight. Like, you know, we'd have like a week off here, a week off there, but that was pretty much it. And just like being bored on the road can really turn you into, uh, you know, turn that lifestyle up a lot more than say if you weren't on the road that much. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. you know, and I, I've been trying to get better at, you know, not being 
not getting too crazy on the road and I mean not that I thought there there was a problem but you know I I get I get really bad what I like to call booze blues you know when you drink the night before like even if you didn't do anything stupid or you know you feel guilty about it you know yeah, so yeah, yeah. uh yeah. so I was just like you know what I'm just like everyone's like oh dry January and I'm just like I've pretty much had a dry year <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> Yeah, for for me, I I found that over the years of doing it, I I started to use it as a coping tool in 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 a lot of ways, you know. And coping not as in like I hate my life and I want to die kind of way, but just yeah. like oh man, that was that was a fun show. I'm gonna drink, celebrate it, or or like I'm not feeling that great. Yeah, it's been a rough day. I have a glass of wine, yeah, and stuff that sounds as innocuous as that. Whether you like to say it's coping or not, it's. Yeah you're using it to enhance a feeling and that yeah. to me is coping um because you get really acclimated to feeling a feeling and and become accustomed to enhancing it with something you know yeah. which which then prevents you from leading fully into the feeling and feeling it for what it is yeah um and uh and and that's what i felt like it started to become for me at a certain point i i would have never like i was never the sort of like you know drink so much as you end up blacked out or go to a hospital or something like that. Like I've never done mm -hmm. that. I've never even blacked out, but um, yeah, it just sort of became like a, like a, like a weird coping mechanism, you know, yeah. uh, from, from really small things to really big things. And yeah. uh, you know, as a, as an adult, as somebody who will be 40 in two years, it's like, I, I try to move away from things like that, you know, whether it's yeah. booze or whether it's uh, you know, other vices, I, I don't smoke, but uh but yeah, I feel like it's 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 something that societally I feel like is trained to us as well. Yeah, no, I get it, and I'm and I'm not here to be like that guy because I know, trust me, I have plenty of friends who are sober to be like, oh man, you know, like I like to party and you know talk about old party times and stuff like that. Like I know, you know, you know that's not that's not what I'm trying to do here. But you know, I'm definitely I definitely agree. You know, like there's sometimes where it's you know like you could have the one of the best shows ever, but it doesn't feel like your first best show ever. You yeah, know, yeah, so you're yeah. like, oh, that was a great show. Like, you know, eh, I'm gonna have a couple tequilas, or you yeah. know, oh, I'm gonna have to do this or do that. You know, I'm not. Yeah, I think there's nothing wrong. With, like, I'm not, like when I describe it, like I'm not knocking it whatsoever. No, 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 no. And I wasn't yeah, taking it that way. Yeah. Okay. I, I, and for anybody listening, like I'm not being yeah. like that's bad. You know, that's stupid. You're the devil if you do that. No, I think it's awesome, and uh, I've done that for most of my a freaking adult life. But, uh, it was just a choice. I, I wanted to make something I observed very loosely about myself and, uh, mm -hmm. and I wanted to, uh, rectify and, uh, and just learn to live a different way. No. Know? And, 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 and I really respect that. I mean, dude, once, once I turned 30 and I'm sure you can agree, you know, the, all the hangovers do is get worse. Oh man. They make you all emotional and stuff. You get yeah. all, <laughs> yeah. You feel like the sky is falling sometimes. Yeah. yeah. So it's just like, you know, I, I definitely, you know, and you're obviously you're more productive when you're not hungover. You play better when you're not hungover. You know, you have a better time when you're not feeling like shit because yeah. you decided to drink too much the night before, you know. Yeah. yeah and yeah. like, and that's my biggest thing is I don't like hangovers. So, yeah. Um, yeah. but dude, I didn't realize you were 38. Yeah, I am. Well, you, am I 38? 
Yeah, I'm 38. Fuck, I'll be 39 in October. That sucks. You yeah. do not age, man. Like, dude, I remember <laughs> I remember watching because when I first really got into periphery was when when this when you guys were doing um a promo for the second record. You would have like the ep- the episodes on YouTube. Yeah. You know, the 30 second to minute and a half episodes of the uh, of the periphery periphery two recording sessions. And like, bro, I thought you were like 19. <laughs> Like, who's this 19 year old Vietnamese lesbian that play free hired? <laughs> like, bro, you look so young. I mean, you still do. You like, you don't age. Well, I appreciate. Like, that, I look bro. older than you do, bro. But I think I think it's the facial hair. Like, I can't. Like, I'm an, unable to grow facial hair. Like this, like 12 year old Mexican kid peach fuzz that I have. Uh, that's that's what I I look like. You know, I look like Chan's base tech. <laughs> with, with this facial hair um but uh i think you know i think it's one thing i think it's the filipino genes like my mom's filipino and two yeah. i don't i don't smoke like I, I i don't ever smoke i don't drink soda uh, i don't really eat fast food unless i'm in a pinch like which is you know maybe once or twice a year i'll eat, I'll eat fast food but i i like i know I, I take i take care of myself like i watch what i put in my body like like, like i said like alcohol was always the one thing that would be mm-hmm. my advice but uh but even, yeah i cut that out and i i feel good like physically i feel yeah. good i appreciate i appreciate you saying that yeah yeah you got that you got that you got that see i mean i've i've been in you know i've been a pretty avid smoker most of my life which is really yeah 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 Have, has your habit kicked up since coronavirus um i've actually been trying to cut back okay um because normally on any given day like especially on tour you know, I just be outside the bus playing my Nintendo Switch, just fucking chain smoking butts. You know, and uh, definitely if you're a young, young person listening to this, don't ever take up smoking. It's literally the worst habit I have. Um, Is it really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, well, I, I everybody like our crew does it. Like our crew, like it's part of our load in ritual. Like when we load into a venue first thing in the morning on tour, yeah, just, just ripping butts, just, dude. Yeah, 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 just ripping butts. Um, um, you know, and it's like, you know, like I said, I've smoked for most of my life and I've tried to quit and it's just one of those things where it's like, I'm definitely one of those guys that I don't think I could quit until I'm like, yo, I'm ready to quit. I've tried and it's been, la- and those were like the worst six months of my life. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Cause it's yeah. literally been a big part of my life and it sucks, you know? So I definitely, yeah. you know, I probably definitely aged a bit with the, uh, with the old, the old nicotine and, you know, I, I've been doing my best to try to cut back since, since COVID started because I, I can easily suck down two packs a day, but I've been trying to make it so I don't even hit a pack a day. You yeah, know? yeah. 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 I, I, I ask about the COVID thing because I can imagine, you know, you stress smoke. Like when, when people are stressed out, when I'm a stress when, eater, dude. That's why oh, really? I gained so much weight over over COVID. I'm a depression and stress eater. And, mm. uh, you know, I've talked to some friends. They're like, well, if you know that you do that, why don't you catch yourself? I'm like, well, you know, it's not really not really that easy, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, Like, you know, sometimes I don't know I'm doing it, you know? Right. I mean, obviously, I know I'm doing it when I'm fucking, when I got my phone and I got Postmates. I'm like, yo, this Taco Bell fucking 2,700 calories looks pretty good right now, you know what I mean? <laughs> but... You know, I, I've I've been I've been more conscious of that, and you know I've been making sure that like you know I have one day a week where I can be a filthy piece of shit, 
And, uh, you know, the rest of the week, I try to make sure I get out of the house, you know, walk around the block or fucking just, I like to sit outside. It's been super fucking windy here and it's my least favorite weather. Oh no, we hear a Southern Californian complaining about weather. Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) The whole rest of the country is looking at you and be like, I want to be that guy so bad because he lives in California and he has the sun all year long. I mean, yo, we get the Santa Ana winds down in LA, and those things are pretty brutal. Like, okay, yes, yeah, so you are true. You are very, very right about that. Yes. Um, and we're kind of Santa Annie right now. And, Santa Annie. <laughs> <laughs> and wind is like, you know, I don't care if it rains. I don't care if it whatever's, you know. But wind is just my least favorite weather. And you know, every morning I try to, you know, I try to get up at a decent time, you know, between like seven, eight a.m. And I just like to sit outside for a couple hours, you know, just sit in my backyard catch some rays, you know, go through my emails and just, you know, kind of enjoy the, you know, the, the, the nice sun that we get here in Southern California. But like today that shit fucking, I woke up, hair's fucking blowing all over the place. I'm like, nah, fuck this, man. (laughs) (laughs) Stay inside, play video games. Dude, I haven't even turned on, like, uh, I know you sent me a a request on PSN and I haven't. Accept my request, dude. I know. I haven't even turned on my PlayStation 4. Uh, you know, with all the uh, all the stuff going on with my band lately, I just I feel like I was like, there's so much other stuff I could be doing that's productive than playing video games right now. You know, yeah. so How, how's f- it how's it going with everything the the Fallout dealing? With? I I know you and I talked on the phone a couple of days ago about uh, everything that happened, but how how are you coping with it on a personal level? Um, the first few days when we were getting kind of like the uh, backlash from our quote unquote fan base, um. You know, you definitely when something like this happens, you definitely see who your real fans are. Are you guys really getting backlash? Like, bro, you'd think that we just broke up Pantera. Like, yo, we're we're bad wolves. Like, <laughs> but, but I don't like I don't get like the size is one thing. Like, I mean, because you guys are you know a pretty big fucking band for my eyes. But like, I I I, I, I you know I saw the way it went down and it there didn't seem to be animosity on either side no and there's it's, not and i i don't i don't hold i don't hold any harsh feelings towards tommy i don't hold any harsh feelings toward any of the people who decided that they don't want to support us anymore that's totally fine like i'm not going to tell you like oh if you don't listen to us because you were only a fan of tommy you're a piece of shit because yeah. that's not the case and i didn't see any of that hate coming from his side either which surprises me that people would be like Attacking Dude, you or him? You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't understand that. That's why I'm just Because they didn't here. understand the split. And, you know, Tommy put out a video and, you know, once people kind of understood what, what had, you know, kind of happened, the hate started to die down. But, like, bro, there was, like, there was, like, people, like, and I, I'm not even going to, like, name names. I'm not going to do any of that. But, like, you know, me and you were kind of the same a few years ago about reading comments and, you know, getting back, kind of, like, responding to the haters and shit. Yeah. Um, but, like they were hitting some really personal notes. So I'm like, this person knows me better than like, cause they were behind a fake troll account. Oh. So I was like, this person has actually followed the band and followed me and knows personal details about my life. Right. And it's from a burner account with like and, one follower. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I was like, that's when it really started to get to me. Cause I'm like, this person, this person knows certain things about me that the average public person wouldn't. So I was like, all right, this person was probably on our Patreon and has came to my Patreon streams and knows personal things about me and was doing like some pretty hard shots personally towards me and my family and stuff like that. And I was just like, 
that is a bit much, you know, yeah. like, like I felt like we were like one step away from actually getting like death threats almost like yeah, the mess, yeah. the messages that we were getting were just like fucking bro, yeah. calm down now. Like God, there man. are certain things that when you have separated from somebody who is part owner of your band, like you can't just go out and there are people are like your fans deserve answers. So I'm like, yo, there's a lot of legal red tape. There's a lot of shit that we can't talk about, you know, because it wasn't, you know, it, because it's not, it's nothing like you think the situation is. So like simmer the fuck down, calm down. First of all, you know, and stop with the name calling. We don't need that, but like just chill. Things will come out as they're supposed to, if they come out at all. Because I get that, you know, the fans want answers why somebody's not in the band anymore, but sometimes that's not how it works. There's a lot of legal red tape and a lot of business legal shit that we have to go through during this time. And you can't just be like, oh, well, this happened and this happened and this happened or this happened, regardless if it's true or false, because someone decided to step down from their position in the band, you know? It's it's this tricky feeling of entitlement from people who care deeply about the thing that you do. And, yeah. and, and I get that. Like they've paid money for your albums, for your t-shirts to, for mm-hmm. concert tickets and whatnot. They've, they've put time and energy into driving out to see your shows. They've supported your band for a long time, but I think yeah. where the, where the, where the, where the pitfall is here, this is the mix up and you know, it gets under my skin too. Who, who doesn't it bother, you know, in terms of musicians, but uh, is some wires get crossed and that feeling of devotion and dedication and this feeling of uh, kind of unjustness, like they look at it and they're like, well, why is this happening? Becomes entitlement. Yeah, They feel entitled to personal information, entitled to know the details, which pertain to really something that only a certain number of people should know about. Yeah, And they sort of presume ownership of whatever is happening. Yeah. Uh, and, and that, to me, is, is a barrier that really should be at the discretion of the people at the center of it. Yeah. And unfortunately, people don't have that perspective of it, you know, especially when they care so deeply about something. Or in the case that you, it sounds like you're describing, they're just fucking ugly, sad people, you know. And I mean, yo, they're like, I don't know why I got like it was directed a lot. I mean, I don't, I don't I wouldn't say like most of it or whatever. Like, I'm sure we all got our lashings, but it's like. Yo, I was the last guy to join the band. I'm not even a part owner of the band. I am literally the Bad Wolves hired bass player. Like, that is my job description. I don't own any portion of the band. So, although I am a part of the LLC, I am not part owner. So, like, that's not even for me to talk about regardless. You know what I mean? So, it's like, you know, and like I said... It had all kind of calmed down when Tommy had put out a statement, which was, you know, nice, you know, and like I said, I have no harsh feelings to him. And, you know, his uh, his Kickstarter's been doing great and he's raised a shit ton of money and, you know, good for him, dude. You know, I, I really wish nothing, nothing but, you know, the best for him. And, you know, but now is the time where like, like now is the time where we're us as a band have to really hunker down and like, you know, we've been practicing a lot more, you know. Because we all kind of just, we're, we're I, those are the only guys I really see, you know? So, you know, we go into our little rehearsal room and, you know, we've been going through like the first album and, 
you know, just trying to get tighter and tighter, like doing in-ear rehearsals, like mm-hmm. no amps. Like Doc wanted to bring in some amps, but I'm like, that's all, all that's going to do is just make more noise. Like, let's get fucking tight with the in-ears and then maybe we'll bring in some amplifiers and stuff like that. But like right now, like, let's just get tight with our ears, you know, and we can yeah. have the mix that we want. And, you know, and it's just like, you know, we're, you know, it's going to be a kind of an uphill battle. But I mean, honestly, like that's fine. Shit happens. It is what it is, but I am looking forward to the future of bad wolves. And, you know, I know we're going to find somebody who's going to fill the shoes of, you know, our former front man. And, and, and even if he doesn't, we're still going to find somebody who is a great talent that maybe wouldn't have been noticed before, you know? Yeah. 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 I have every ounce of faith that you guys will, you guys deserve someone, someone good you know you got you guys have all your shit down like i told you on the phone the other day it's like you guys have your shit down and uh yeah i'm excited to see what's next for you guys man it's almost like a like a reset you know but it's it's exciting i don't know yeah it's exciting you know it's 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 something new you know and you know and i know a lot i know that that upsets a lot of people and it might not and when we come back it might not be what they had originally hoped it was going to be which is you know us with tommy and you know Sometimes shit happens, you know? Yeah. Time to find your Hagar, you know? Yeah. I mean, yo, Van Halen wrote some of their biggest hits with fucking Hagar, you know what I mean? I, I when, when Eddie passed away a couple months ago, I revisited the whole thing, and I found myself coming back more often to Van Hagar. Yeah. To, dude, some, from Unlawful Carnal Knowledge? Yeah, fuck me yeah, up, dude. That's yeah. such a great record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no knocking Hagar, man. Hagar, those songs are the shit. Yeah. Um... So what is going to be going on with your main band, the riff, the pure riff? <laughs> um, well, sorry, next I'm an up, idiot. <laughs> no, you're not. Um, you are absolutely not. Uh, next up on our agenda this year is meeting up and writing. And mm-hmm. we all live spread out all over the country. And that presents a challenge for us because we're all writing on our own but we don't do zoom writing or Skype writing. It's just that that's never really struck us as a, as an alternative, as a, yeah. as a viable option to convey yeah. ideas to one another. But our next order of business is to get together and write for our next release. We don't know anything about it yet, but mm-hmm. I know that I have a shitload of material written. Mm-hmm. Misha has a shitload of material written. Jake has a shitload of material written. Spencer, and Matt has even has ideas racked up over the years. So yeah, we have no shortage. And if, of any sort of pre-periphery record period of time that we've had over the years, I would say we have the most in store ready to go right now than any other of our eras. So, uh, so I, I'm itching too. I've talked to the guys recently and they're all really excited to get back into the studio and it's just going to be, it's going to be a free for all because I think what we, what we accomplished with periphery four with, with hail Stan mm-hmm. and how all over the place and dark and, and sort of Epic that record was, it got us all excited to play music after, after all these years. And that's, that's not gone away in, in any way, shape or form. So I don't know. I'm feeling more excited than I ever have really about creating new music. And I know the other guys are feeling pretty similar. So, so yeah, writing, writing and, and, and recording is on the agenda for periphery this year. Playing live is not. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'm, uh, we, we kind of touched on this the other day, a little bit on the phone, but like periphery stance is not 
let's go out and tour before it's unsafe. You know, yeah, let's yeah. let's not get out as soon as it's okay, because frankly, we're okay with biding our time. You know, that's yeah. our culture as a band. We're we're okay with taking a little bit of time off the road, putting that time and energy into building songs, to building yeah. albums, and uh, and just perfecting our craft and getting better at it and then we'll come back out on the road and play those songs when they're ready but uh but yeah and that's not the most glamorous year ahead of periphery just a whole no no and i think you know as as a periphery fan myself um you know i definitely i definitely do appreciate that because i just you know and you guys and what i really like is you guys have been pretty transparent about your process when it comes to making music, like anytime you guys have like a fucking documentary thing, like I'm always like, yo, I got to watch this shit. Like ever since, ever since P2, because like, you know, after P2, I know you guys had clear and then you had like, I loved watching the alpha omega sessions. Like, Oh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. My brother, my brother has done every single one of those documentaries since then. Yeah. My brother, you know, Jeff, right? Uh, I've met Jeff a couple times. I'm, I'm closer with Marquitis. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. They're both awesome. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I remember just like watching all that stuff, and I and it's just like I don't know. It felt like it was almost old school in the way that like because it doesn't seem like anybody does that anymore. Like you know, like it it wasn't like you know there wasn't like the drama of like you know some kind of monster, but it's <laughs> like it was. It kind of felt like like I really felt like that was a smart thing to do, not only to kind of like show like, okay, this is who we are as people, you know, but I really think it really brought your fans closer to you as in they've kind of like felt like they knew you a little bit more, which, you know, there are also, there are cons to that as well, but you know, um, I, I just, I really appreciate it. So anytime you guys like do like documentary style shit, and I'm not telling you guys what to do, but I'm just saying like, I I love that shit. Like, no, uh, I'm maybe... cool with you giving me orders. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I'm glad it comes across that way because I, I think that's only possible because of the role that my brother takes. My brother films and, and produces and directs the whole documentary. He's done every single one since Periphery 2. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Jeff is, he's literally my family. You know, he's my younger brother, but he's family to the band as well. And when he, when we start a record and start writing, he's in the studio with us from day one, just hanging and filming and capturing everything. So when we're week two, week three, week four into writing, recording, living in one apartment together with the rest of the band, mm-hmm. it feels like a slog. You know, it's productive, but it's a fight. You know, it, it's it's a little it's a little brutal. We're in the shit. We're in the trenches, writing and recording every day. And one thing that Jeff does is he takes all of it, he sifts through it, and he finds a way to make all of it feel like a cohesive narrative piece. And and that's what I love about those documentaries too. I I remember every single time he's done one, I always go go into it watching it like, oh God, I don't know if I want to be reminded of this recording process because I'll probably get PTSD, you know? Yeah. And I watch it and I'm just floored because I'm I don't know. I get this perspective on it. Like, wow, it, it felt like a slog, but I will look back on it and all of a sudden things are more rosy. And I, and I think it's, it's because of, of, of Jeff's sort of role in the whole thing. He's able to be this, uh, this, this third party who's not part of it, but he is part of it, you know, yeah. and we all trust him enough to let our guard down. So what you, what you do see is authentic. It's not yeah. a facade. It's not scripted. It is as authentic as it gets uh, because yeah. of, of the, the eyes behind the camera and that's jeff 
Yeah, but like I said, I've always enjoyed those, and I'm not sure if you guys did one for for Hail Stan, but I remember the one for the for P3 was was yeah. was really good too. We did one for P4 too for for Hail Stan. That's my favorite of the whole bunch, I think. Yeah. I think when that record came out, I was on tour. Yeah. So you were, like too, when I, you were too busy touring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like when I'm on tour, for some reason, like I'm like I feel like I live more under a rock when I'm on tour yeah. than when I'm at home. Yep. Like. Um, but I will definitely see if, if I can if I can watch yeah. the yeah. the Hail Stan one. By the way, when Reptile, the one thing I will say when Reptile came out, I was like, Jesus, boys, <laughs> shit was fucking heavy. <laughs> that that song is a landmark song for us. That, that we're we're all very very proud of how that one turned out. And I think like if if I had to to sort of pinpoint one springboard song that I, that I could say, let's build off of this, it would be that song. Yeah, I just I just think there's there, there's so much possibility uh, explored in that tuning in that type of thing. At least in a weird tuning too. It's in a drop G where both of the bottom strings are tuned to G. Oh, I mean, dude, that that that's Bad Wolf standard tuning right there. G G C Okay. Okay. G, yeah, G G C F A D. We do uh, the Devin Townsend tuning G C G C G C G C E, and then we also have drop C with a low G. That's awesome. That's awesome. Not for a fucking bass player that lives in the in the fucking lower octave. I don't tune up like Dick from Meshuga. Like you know, I stole a lot of my a lot of my bass knowledge from from your former bass player and uh, and and producer cohort, Mister Adam Nolly. Get good. Honestly, like because when I first started, when I first joined Scar the Martyr uh, with Joey Jordison, and then you know transferred over to Vimic, um, I had never really. That was in 2013s, and I just started kind of getting into you guys in around 2012 when P2 came out. Um, and I didn't understand eight-string guitars then. I didn't like. I mean, I get. I got that it was like a seven-string, but and then so I finally found somebody who had, uh, from watching your guys's documentary, was keeping. And these are his words, not mine. Keeping the octave relationship between the bass and the guitar. And I was like, yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to tune down because that's what I was told to do. Honestly, man, I would have loved to just have a Fender fucking jazz bass and tune that bitch a fucking a half step up. You know what I mean? But uh, they're like, no, we want you to tune down. So I was like, cool. Tuning a five string bass to F sharp. That sounds like fucking fun. And, uh, you know, I tried doing it with the uh, I had had some custom made 36 inch scale Schecter's. Because I was with Schechter at the time, and uh, I was just that low, that low note was just it didn't matter what gauge string I had on it. It was like the rest of the bass sounded fantastic. Don't get me wrong, but that low note was just like it might as well have just been like whales, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like just a whale sound. Yeah, and uh, and so when I found Dingwall through Nolly. Fuck, I think I probably emailed that company so many times because they didn't, they weren't really taking on artists at that time. Uh, you know, this was 2013, 2012. You know, they weren't the, they weren't as big as of a big of a company as they are now. You know, I mean, fuck, everybody uses, you know, Dingwalls yeah. these days. Yeah. And I remember I finally got my Dingwall and it came to me tuned to F sharp. And I was like, oh, fucking there it is. Yeah. And then ever since then, I've kind of just, you know, I've always, I've always kept an eye on what on what Nolly was doing. Um, his 
his bass tone compared to mine is a lot different uh, because that's kind of like I kind of took his um, like his path when it comes to like string tension and the fan fret and, you know, keeping the octave relationship. That's kind of where that ends for me. Um, But then when I started you know, messing around with bass tone more and like getting into guys, you know, like, you know, I've been a, a, a sixth fan since fuck, like, I don't even know, like 2004, 2005. And, uh, and then like my love for like, you know, old faith, no more. And, and corn, I was just like, I'm just like, man, all these guys are fucking giving me a hard time. Cause like, they're like, Oh, there's no mids in your sound. I'm like, well, bro, we tuned to fucking G like, the 250 hertz on a low tune bass is just nasty, you know, like it's really, it muds up the mix. And I was just like, for me, it just works better to like, you know, cut that 250 out. You know, I don't cut too much of the 500 out, but you know, like anywhere between anything after 120 and before 250 or, and at 250, I was just like, eh, take that out. But, uh, but yeah, I stole, I stole a lot of shit from, from, from Nolly just based on, because I didn't know how to tune a guitar or a bass guitar that low, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting to hear, man. Nolly definitely changed. Okay. This is going to sound almost like hubris or like I'm giving him way too much credit, but I really do believe that Nolly changed the way bass is, is viewed in metal. I, I oh, really do. He, it, like it's, he definitely did. He definitely did. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly especially, agree with you. Especially listening to a lot of home recordings from people uh, and, and and hearing these demos, these gear demos where people are using, you know, a superior drummer, GGD, using the neural DSP fractal stuff online. Mm-hmm. Like going on YouTube and hearing a modern metal mix, I, I'm more than... <sighs> I feel like more than 80% of the demos I, I, I hear from prog metal artists and, and sort of bedroom musicians have a bass tone that's geared after Nolly's tone. Yeah. And, and I remember when he started getting really granular and nitpicky about our bass tone on periphery too, he wasn't a bass player. Yeah. He came at it from the perspective of a mixer and an engineer and wanting to get something that binds well with the guitar. So something to complement the guitar and something that, captures what a bass is supposed to accomplish in a mix but has its own unique distinct uh qualities and i remember we were very very excited with periphery 2 and he sort of took on bass duties by default because we didn't have a bass player mm-hmm. and we were happy with that with that bass tone because it was so far removed from periphery one's bass tone which was basically non-existent yeah uh, and then i remember for juggernaut that's when his sound really came into uh came into its own and uh yeah this like really grinding articulate dude 22 um, faces has one of my fucking favorite bass tones of all your guys yeah man yeah um yeah no no he's just i i'll always sort of look back on those days and, and appreciate how he came at it from a completely different angle. He wasn't trying to be, you know, metal less Claypool or something like that. He wasn't trying to be a virtuoso. He was just trying to have a bass tone that sat well in the mix. And then he developed a style around that, that, uh, that it's, it's, it's just awesome to see that it's, it stood the test of time. He did amazing things for Dingwall. They're a company now that's put on the map in large part because of how Nolly wrapped them back in the day. Oh yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, yeah, and he's not part of the band, but uh, damn, I, if I can help it, he's going to play bass, bass on every single one of our records till, <laughs> till the end of time. 
and it, and it was so funny because I watched him do the the nail the mix thing, and uh, I was like, oh okay, yeah, like every everything that he did, there were certain things that I'm like, oh yeah, I wouldn't have done that, but I, again, I haven't fucking produced any records, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, there was a lot of things I was like, oh okay, yeah, that makes sense. And then uh, I mean, honestly, ever since then, I've been using the Fab Filter Saturn for bass, pretty much on. Yeah. any demo i've ever done <laughs> yeah yeah dude being in a band with people like nolly and misha and jake and just spencer and matt dude it's everybody it's everybody i don't know if you're like this too with the guys that with that you're around in the band but i feel like there's just never a shortage of things to learn from some of these people you know like these world-class minds in my band that i can always look to if if not for the very least inspiration, but it, yeah. you know I I've Google fucking videos of Nolly mixing like you were saying like I do that with Nolly if if I yeah. can't text him or call him I do that with Misha it's like it's just never ending with those guys do you, do you, do you have that uh, sensation with with your guys oh I mean of course you know I mean um you know I've known Doc for fuck twelve years now and I and I was always a fan of of Doc's you know from you know God forbid and. But I mean, like, I don't know. He's like my, he's like my Yoda. You know what I mean? Like, I'm definitely on, on, on Doc's. Like, if I was hanging on to his dick any harder, I'd be his nutsack. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just, I just think that he, he has a lot of experience. And I think, like, I take experience equals wisdom. You know, like, I'm, I like, and not that I don't appreciate everybody else's experience and opinions in the band, but I, I really feel like, you know, there's just certain things I can go to Doc with and he'll help me look at it from a different perspective. You know, because there is always, Doc always looks at everything from not just his point of view, but another person's point of view. And that's what I really enjoy about Doc is that uh, I don't really, he doesn't really seem to have a certain bias when it comes to almost anything. And I really feel like he takes the time and he's one of those guys who definitely thinks before he speaks. And I feel like his thought process is like 10 steps ahead of where I'm at. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like he's got all this, all this, uh, uh, like where he's going with his point and you know, how he communicates is like 10 steps ahead of me. And, uh, I actually told him the other day, I was like, you know, sometimes when I talk to you and I don't mean, I don't mean this in a bad way, but sometimes when I talk to you, I feel stupid. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, but, uh, I mean, like, and and Doc has always been that guy for me, like, regardless of being in, being with him in the band now, I mean, I've told him that, you know, Doc Coyle is responsible for two thirds of my career. You know what I mean? (laughs) Because it's, it's been two phone calls that have gotten me into two different bands. Like when I was looking for a gig, you know, after my in this moment days, you know, I gave him a call and I was like, hey, doc, you know, anybody's looking for a bass player. And then he's like, well, I got this guy, Chris Norris, who's, uh, you know, doing this band with Joey Jordison. You know, I can hit him up. I'll see if they have a, see if they need a bass player. And I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah, let's do that. And then I was in that band for fucking seven years, you know. And then uh, when that when that or five years, excuse me. And then when that stopped. You know, and I had kind of called Doc uh, about a year before the the band had, you know, stopped doing anything. Uh, I was like, hey, uh, you know anybody looking for a bass player? And then he's like, uh, do you want to come be in a music video? And that was Bad Wolves, you know? Yeah, and yeah. it was kind of just, uh, they had asked me to be in the band like a few times, but I was still, you know, holding on hope, 
something I had done for five years. I was like, you know, I put so much blood, sweat, tears and, and shit into this band. Like, should I just like not do this band anymore and be in bad wolves? And then there was just a bunch of signs that were just like, you know, I don't think this, this is going to be a thing anymore. And then I was like, all right, yeah, cool. I guess I'll just, I'll just do bad wolves. And you know, I kind of, kind of fucking lucked out. You know, we were put in a situation that not, not many bands, have been put in before, you know, we were one of the fastest rising, uh, bands of 2018, you know? And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, that had a big deal, uh, big, uh, that had a big part to do with, you know, uh, zombie and the circumstances of, uh, you know, Dolores or Reardon and, and, you know, us donating the proceeds from that song and stuff like that. But I mean, I think we're, we're very, 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 lucky as a band I feel very lucky as a musician you know because and you know I try to do the same things that you do you know you said that you know sometimes when you feel down you know you got to realize that like you know you're you're part of something that I mean I know plenty of dudes who would give their fucking both nuts to be where I am you know Mm -hmm. and you have to be you have to be grateful and try to make sure that you are doing everything that you can to be you know I mean that's why I started taking bass lessons this year that's why I started taking vocal lessons this year that's why I started you know putting money into you know my recording setup and trying to figure out what I can do to make myself more valuable to the band and valuable to myself as a musician because I mean you know and I I don't say this because I'm looking for for compliments and but I really think that I'm not as good of a player as people think. I just get lumped into great players. Now, people, when I say that to people, they're like, oh, you know, but you you play with this band. Like, oh, you played with fucking Devin Townsend. I was like, yeah, do I think that I was on the level, the same level as Devin Townsend? Fuck no. I just felt super fucking lucky to be there, you know? And luckily that, you know, a guy like Wes Houck, you know, um, you know, thinks I'm a great bass player and wanted to and put my name in that hat, you know, and I was, I was very, I was very fucking fortunate because, you know, I've been a big fan of, you know, you and, and Wes Houck and, you know, all the periphery guys. And honestly, like, I'm really glad most of you motherfuckers don't remember me because I used to punish you guys at fucking Nam. <laughs> like, like, yo, like if Nolly ever, if I ever met Nolly in actual person, I, I, I guarantee he would remember me because really? I was a fucking Punisher. Oh, like, man. I'm surprised people, when I saw Misha, he didn't remember me as the fucking Nam Punisher. You know what I mean? Do people listening to this know what punishing means? Uh, I, I think it's kind of, I think it's kind of like a well-known thing. Now. Is it a thing now? People know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Punishing but, means punishing somebody for being your, their, your favorite band. So if it's like, yeah, you really look up to freaking Kirk Hammett or something like that. That's seeing Kirk Hammett in the hotel lobby and asking him about what gauge strings he used on on Kill 'Em All yeah. for for an hour, and refusing to change the subject when he asks about the weather yeah. or where I'm from or something. That's an example of punishing somebody, punishing yeah. someone for being your favorite band. Okay. Yeah. Anyways, I just want to clarify that. Yeah, but I, I was surprised. Um, I was surprised when I met Misha in more of a uh, professional setting. That I was like, I was like, dude, I used to fucking punish this guy so bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's but, a circle I mean, of life. Yeah, but I mean, and I wasn't, and I, and I typically wasn't that guy. I just wanted, like, and I think I came off a little too excited, mainly because I was hungover half the time, and uh, I don't want to seem like you know, fucking like I was wet brained. Um, but like, 
I, I just wanted I just wanted I just wanted answers to help me tune low. That's I just wanted answers. Give me answers. That should have been your approach. Give me answers. Well, and because like it's so funny because like I would always you know I've been very very fortunate you know I would I would always come to uh, Nam and I'd always have a Diadario badge, and you know I used. To, I don't know why, but I used to thought like, oh, I should probably like, you know, dress somewhat nice to go to Nam, you know, so I'd always wear like a button down T-shirt. And <laughs> and I remember they were talking to me and but and they were getting, you know, we were having a conversation. I was like, oh, man, this is going really, really well. And, uh, <laughs> and one of them asked like, oh, do you work for Diodaria? And I was like, no, nah, I'm just an artist. And they're like, oh, OK. <laughs> <laughs> so they were entertaining me because they thought I was I worked for Diodaria. <laughs> Which I thought was sweet, by the way, you know, um, but, you know, we all have them, you know, and, you know, I, I think I probably don't get it as much as, you know, you guys, like I said on the phone the other day, like, bro, what, what do you think about a wound G string? Like what, you know, do wound or unwound? What gauge? Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't really get that as much, but, you know, because I was one of those guys, anytime someone messages me and I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm opening the floodgates with this. Anytime someone messages me about gear questions, I'm always just like, here you go, buddy. Yeah. There's, there's a part of me that's like that. Like, and if, if, if someone catches me at the right time of day yeah. or if I'm in the right mood or something like that, I'll respond. But, uh, there's questions that are kind of ridiculous though. Things yeah. that you could Google in two seconds and find out. Yeah. What yeah pickups yeah. are those? I don't know, man. How about the only pickups I've played over the last eight years <laughs> or like, or, or, you know, what, what guitar is that? I don't know. Look at the caption. I literally just said it right there. Like, yeah, there's some questions that I actually read and I'm like, is that just like, what, what, what are you doing here? Yeah. You know, like, or did you not read or, or like, I don't know. Maybe, See, maybe that I'm, that's different. Like if anybody asked me like, Oh, what, what brand of bases do you use? I'm like, oh, I tag them in every picture I've ever taken. Um, but if someone's like, hey, man, I'm trying to figure out, like, you know, what to do and blah, 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 blah. And I always just say, just play for your band. Figure out where your fucking guitar player's frequencies are and go from there. I was like, that's why I scoop my mids is because they're more in the mid-range sector being tuned to G and audible, you know. And they use, you know, uh, you know, DiMarzio, Lundgren pickups. And my dogs are going fucking nuts. I'm assuming the mailman is here. Um <clears throat> So I kind of decided and people and, and like even when I was doing like a Dingwall live string, like people were like, like, you know, you need more mids and blah blah blah. I'm like, no, I I I did more mids. And you know what it sounded like? It sounded like we were fighting a frequency battle on stage. So like, yeah, I scoop my mids, but I do it I do what's best for me for the band I play for. And that's what you should do as well. And I always say, This is what I do. It's not it doesn't mean that that's the way, you know, this isn't the Mandalorian, you know what I mean? Um yeah. But, you know, figure out the frequency of where where your boys are sitting. And I was like, you know, if you're tuning in much more standard tunings, you have a lot more you have a lot more of, of uh, an ability to explore sounds a little bit. But when it comes to like fucking drop F sharp and drop E and G, you know, you know, you're kind of as a bass player, you're kind of limited on where you live in the frequency spectrum, you know? Yeah, yeah, very true. All you li- all you bass players, listen up. <laughs> listen up. <laughs> oh man! So, as you know, as I sat here and talk about how I, I punished you know, punished your 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 former bandmate and 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 current bandmates. Um, do you know when you guys are going to be getting together to to start 
maybe doing some studio stuff or is it just kind of like you know all up in the air right now not really it's all up in the air we're, we're being very careful about uh about the virus we're definitely not covid deniers <laughs> yeah <laughs> or good. anything like that um you know i have uh immunocompromised people in my family and i'm yeah. being super careful like I, I haven't gone and bought my own groceries since march of last year yeah and i've ordered everything online you know i just pay the extra delivery charges it sucks but i just i refuse to um to expose myself to any risk because of my particular situation yeah and uh you know a couple other guys in the band too have just have a lot of trepidation about getting on planes which i get and uh yeah for that reason we we don't quite know yet but sometime here in the next couple months i think we'll uh we'll talk about getting together to do that first writing session it's just unfortunately we're just playing the waiting game you know keeping keeping our eyes on the on the on the rates on the on the death rates the infection rates yeah don't and, uh, don't come out here i'm telling you that right now yeah that's what i hear yeah i hear it's really it's really bad in in, in texas too here man uh yeah. bad in florida i mean fuck where is it not bad um yeah yeah so we're we're kind of just at the mercy of that but the good thing is that we can write from home you know the, the good thing is that we can just stockpile material here and that's uh that's exactly what we're doing yeah well i mean you know i know with um you know, um, Misha and, and Matt, you know, and Nolly being a part of like, you know, the GD, GGD, you know, I mean, you got the, you got the drum samples right there at your fingertips. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's, it's almost like having like a little mini halpern in your, in your computer. No, it's know? great. It, it's, it's awesome. Cause I, you know, <laughs> I, I don't ever have to pay for that stuff. I just ask them for it and they give it to me. Uh, and I have some Love of the best it. sounding drums, uh, uh, known to man. So, uh, so yeah, it's a nice perk of, 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 you know, owning a band with those guys. <laughs> By the way, I have fucking Matt has some of the best drum faces I've ever fucking seen in my entire oh, life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He looks like Johnny sins when, when he plays drums, you know, he's got like, he does. yeah. Uh, he posted a video of you guys. I think you were actually playing loon. Um, and it was from a video from last year or not, oh, not last year. Cause that was 2000, 2020. And nobody did shit. Uh, maybe the year before. And it was like the back of him. And I commented on it. And I was like, the only thing that bums me out about this video is I can't see your amazing fucking drum faces. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's got, he's got this approach where, and, and I, and I see it, I, I see the connection and why it's a good thing for people to think about. Like he has this kind of like, I don't care how I look approach when he plays drums as long as i'm feeling it and as long as i'm nailing my parts mm -hmm. don't be afraid to look stupid and and i think that brings out a cool um sort of feeling inside of you as a performer and i, I think about this stuff too how do things look how do i look how do i sound how does everybody else sound how do they look yeah but the less you think about that stuff the more you're able to just lean into the moment and lean into the energy of a song and that's why like from the very beginning ever since periphery's early days he's always just looked like he was having a you know a spaz spaz attack behind the kit and he's making these ridiculous faces but at the end of the day he's feeling it more than anybody else in the room and yeah. it's inspiring you know he's just out there having a panic attack and, and i look at that and i'm like damn <laughs> i gotta get on that level too you know yeah well i mean you know uh i i really think that regardless if you guys think this or not you know when it comes to the like where heavy metal is going, I think a lot of people look at you guys to see like what what's periphery doing, what's periphery doing next. You know, you guys are, um, you know, you guys are all amazing players. You know, you Misha, uh, Jake, 
Matt, Spencer, you know, like you guys are all just amazing musicians. And I really think that, you know, maybe, maybe it's just me. I don't know. But I really think that there are a few bands out there that a lot of people in the industry kind of look at and take notice, like, what are, what are they doing? You know, like, cause you guys popularized a fucking, uh, a whole stream of, uh, a whole genre of music, yeah. you know, the more progressive heavy metal. And, um, you know, granted, you know, you guys have taken in, uh, inspiration from other bands that have been doing it for a long time. But I mean, like, if you look at, you know, and again, I'm not, tr- I'm not here to try to suck your fucking dick either. But I mean, if you look at the time frame of, you know, when P2 and P3 came out, that's when you all started kind of getting these bands, like wave of new progressive influenced bands, you know, like you know, Vela Maya or Architects or like, I really feel like a lot of bands wouldn't be who they are today if it wasn't for periphery, you know? That's kind of crazy. Yeah. But I mean, that's wild to hear you say that. I I haven't really thought about that before. Um, Just, just like in the terms that you've, you've laid them out, but that's, that's wild to think about. It's crazy. I, like, like I said, it's not something that the band or anybody in the band ever says to one another it's like we started x and y i don't even like to think of it like that because from the very beginning it was always just about being in our bubble and being in our circle in our tight-knit little unit here and and having fun with it like i was i was telling somebody this the other day somebody asked me like how would you describe periphery to somebody who's never heard the style of music without using the word gent, you know, <laughs> I try <laughs> not to use, use that word. Yeah. We don't say that word. That's our word. No, we don't use that word anywhere. Um, but uh, how would you describe the music? And, and, and I boiled it down to being playful and having fun with it and really just chasing a thread, chasing this very selfish goal by, by crafting music that just makes you happy. You know, and that's what this music's always been about, chasing something that makes us happy, whether it's, uh, you know, writing a two and a half minute long, you know, dick stomper of a song or a 12 minute long, you know, prog song or whatever, or a three minute long electronic interlude. It always has to have this, this, this sense of, of, of playfulness at the middle of it, having fun with it. it from, from the, from the crazy rhythmic stuff, from the shreddy sections to the eight string, it's, it's all with, with this sort of playful attitude, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and I would like to think that when somebody puts on a periphery song, no matter what song it is, they can hear a couple guys having fun. You know, they can hear us enjoying ourselves and yeah. just chasing this very selfish, playful thread and the music and that's what it looks like you know when you tell me that you, that you 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 see the documentary and it looks like we're having fun or it looks like we're authentic or we're we're truly at home that's because we are it's the most self-involved process ever it almost feels like narcissistic here talking about it with you <laughs> uh, but at the end of the day I've always liked bands that shut everything else out you know like one of my favorite bands just just to take another band and use them as an example is a band like Opeth. 
Yeah. You know, Opeth is a band that never has cared about what yeah. other people think. They just do. If they want to be a, a 70s tribute band and, and worship Goblin all day and, and, and abandon their death metal stylings, then they're going to do it. And they're not going to give a shit what kind of negative reviews they get. Yeah. And, uh, and I love that because we, we don't ever care about that kind of stuff, man. We, we're really in this to make ourselves happy. And, you know, we have a lot of other side endeavors in our lives, which we, which we use to keep ourselves financially afloat, which mm-hmm. allow us to have sort of real lives, you know, to, yeah. to, to, to survive whatever life throws at us. But periphery at the end of the day needs to be a passion project, it needs to be a vehicle for fun and getting our kicks. And the minute it becomes this, you know, suit and tie, like show up, make a record that sounds like the last or else we are done or that kind of feeling periphery's fucked you know yeah. it's it's over yeah. so it's it's gonna have that nature to it as long as we're doing this you know and i remember during the past week and i was talking about mean comments uh one guy said uh um something about like uh like you went from a van to a tour bus like get ready to go back to the van and i was like i don't give a fuck you could put me in a fucking suburban with these guys in a trailer. And like, the, the, the funny thing is the person that told you that probably has never fucking strapped a guitar on and played for anybody. You know what I mean? Like who, who fucking told you that? What kind of fucking loser told you that? What kind of person? Told, what kind of mouth breathing neck beer world of Warcraft fucking six times a day masturbator told you that, you know, that's ridiculous. But honestly, like I don't, I don't even care. Like I would do, I would do, I would tour like, like for free, you know, I, I, I've honestly, I didn't get a paycheck from music until I was 32 years old. I'll be 35 this year. You know what I mean? Like I didn't ever get a real paycheck from a band until Bad Wolf started touring. So like, I don't care. I've always done it for free. I've always gone into debt to tour and I don't tour because I want to be famous or I want to have money because I want to be a rich rock star. Like I've been playing shows for 20 years since I was 14 years old. I've wanted to be in a band since I was eight years old, like watching green day on fucking, you know, uh, spring break on MTV when I was eight years old with my older yep. brothers. Like I'm not fucking good at anything else. I can pretend to be good at other things, but I wouldn't be happy doing it. Yeah. So I, I, I don't really care. I will always figure out a way to make what I do work. You know, I've been fucking homeless for this job. I don't care, yeah. you know, because right now it's just me. I have no one else depending on me. Mm-hmm. So I can pretty much, you know, granted, I love having my own space and the house I live in. But it's like if I had to fucking pack everything up and put it in a fucking five by five storage unit for a hundred bucks a month just so I can go tour, I would do it. You know, it sounds like you're doing it for the right reasons. And I feel like doing it for those reasons almost gives you an unfair advantage over the rest of people who are doing it, who, who would be in it to make money in it to be popular, in it to have more Twitter, Instagram followers, in it to get girls, in it for X and Y. But doing it for the reasons other than, like you're saying you do it because you don't know how to do anything else because it sounds like you live and breathe this and you can probably tell 
from our conversations about our upbringings that I'm the exact same. It's like, yeah. this is all I've ever wanted to do. It's all I've ever dreamed of. And doing it for those reasons and those reasons alone, I feel like give you an unfair advantage over the competition, over other people who are trying to, to get their foot into this very narrow door. Uh, and I try to tell people this too, when I do clinics, it's like, how do I break into this industry? And it starts with this very important step, this do or die step. Step one is if you're not doing it for those reasons that we just mentioned, then just keep it a hobby. You know, don't, don't just, just buy a guitar and play it on the weekends. Yeah. That's it. Because it's, it's foolish if you try to do it and you're just kind of sabotaging yourself from the very beginning and you're setting yourself up for immense disappointment. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, that's, 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 that's awesome to hear you say that. I mean, I have, I have tried to quit the music industry multiple times, you know, back, back actually before my career even started back in 2009, I was, um, you know, I was going to go to, I was going to go to a trade school and become a fucking, um, a respiratory therapist. And then, uh, and then I got the call to go do in this moment. And I was like, okay, well, fuck school. I'm going to go, I'm going to go to around and make fucking $10 a day per diem, you know, like, cool. And that's yeah. what I did. And then when I was asked to leave that project, you know, of course, you know, I was 23 at the time, you know, I was like, oh, that's, that's the end of it. That's it. That's, that's the end of the road. I'm never, ever, ever going to do this again. And I was like, you know, I had done another band and that band broke up and I was like, fuck this dude. I'm I can't, I can't keep doing that. And then, you know, I called doc just for like one last, like fuck. And then I was in that, you know, scar of the martyr Vimic from 2013 to 2017, 2018. And, uh, and then, you know, I kind of was lucky that like bad wolves was already a thing. And I was already established with that project. Cause I, I should have known there was something special there when I was out with Vimic in 2017 during the summer we did a tour with in this moment and um motionless and white and there was a couple of festival dates there you know with like suicide silence mashuga dillinger escape plan you know all these fucking bands that i love you know and dudes like coming up to be like yo what's going on with bad wolves like okay that's all they'd be like cool yeah you're with this band now but like yo what's going on with bad wolves mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah and uh that's awesome you know, and like I said, I'm very fortunate. I'm very lucky. And, you know, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't want to do anything else. Like, who, like, I don't know. I, I just love playing guitar. I love playing bass. I love playing in front of people, like, which is really weird because I have social anxiety. But, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, to be able to play in front of, you know, hundreds and, you know, thousands of people, like, fucking sometimes like there's a moment during our set right you know it's like right as zombies about to play and you know the you know uh the the whole arena or whatever venue would go completely black and then everybody would you know put their lights on on their phone and i mean like yo when you're at the nashville bridgestone center like that shit's like fucking seven stories tall it's super tall uh, um arena and I just remember like looking up like, Jesus fucking Christ, this is what I get to do. You know, yeah. you see 12,000 fucking lights in the air and it's just like, it's, you know, it, it's crazy, you know, and I, and I just try to thank my lucky stars and, you know, try to become, you know, not only a better musician, but a better person, 
you know, and yeah. just try to, you know, and, and honestly, when people ask me, you know, like, how, well, what can I do to do this? I just say, there's, there's, there's just a few things, but if you don't love it, like, you know, like you said, if you don't love it, you're in it for the wrong reasons, but you also got to be, be as the best player that you can be play with as many people as you can be as you ugh, play with as many people as you can play with, but also just don't be, you know, don't be a dick and be kind of all right to hang around and mm-hmm. you know, you'll make your way. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah we are very fortunate, man. We're very, very blessed. I couldn't agree with, with that more. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag blessed. All right. So when does this fucking haunted shores record come out? So I can fucking listen to it and pre-order um, it and you better have a sick t-shirt with it again <laughs> yeah we will we'll have we'll have that ready to go um i i don't know when it's it's about half done right now um yeah you better speed that shit matter, up yeah it's a matter of us <laughs> tracking the, i really really do want to rush it you know i really want to hurry it up it's just uh you know covid man yeah um, no but, I, dude I, I totally get it. i was just giving yeah. a shit as soon as I, I want to get this thing out quick because I've been itching for people to hear this now. And the last Haunted Shores came out six years ago now. Hard to believe. But damn, really? Was it six years ago? I think so. Yeah. And, and it's a project that not a lot of people know about. You know, like I, I think metalheads like yourself the and people who know periphery and people who know like instrumental music metal know it. But uh, it's, it's something that I, I want people to associate more with things that I do. So I'm, I'm dying for people to hear it. Yeah. Well, you better text me. Let me know when that pre-order goes live. You know, oh, well, I'll throw you a copy of the album before, before it's listenable. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll, I'm still, I'm still going to pre-order it anyway. Oh, it, that, that's how I do it. It's mainly for the shirts. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, <laughs> do, I don't know what it is. Pre-order shirts are just like better merch. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why. Maybe that's it's your... because like, you never know if that shirt will ever be there again. Like, dude, you, you would fucking laugh if you saw like dude i've got like 400 t-shirts <laughs> i love t-shirts dude that's I the mean, old metal I mean, elitist in you speaking. you can kind of see like dude those are all hoodies like there's probably 10 hoodies back there that's awesome uh, yeah, I, I think I think it is. I think it's just like my younger self. Like, oh, cool. You like, you know, you're not broke anymore. I mean, you know, you can you can afford to buy some T-shirts here and there. And then I just do <laughs> see a shirt I like. Cool, I'm gonna buy that. <laughs> and it's it's fucking ridiculous, man. Like my closet is is just overflowing, and it's just like, you know, there was a shirt that you guys did for um for Juggernaut. So I when I pre-ordered that record, I'm like, yo, I don't know if they're gonna make the shirt again. So I should probably get I should probably get the, the one with the the one with the the t-shirt. <laughs> That's awesome, man. And then when you shirt. guys had the the Halpern shirt, the the yeah. help Helpy Gilmore, I'm like, yo, yeah. this isn't gonna be up for very long. Nope. I need to, I need to buy. I this. think there were only uh, yeah there were a handful of those made. So you snatched one of the rares. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so people, where where can people find you on the interwebs if they want to ask you about your g-string gauge and if it's wound or unwound? All g-string gauges can go to uh, donaldtrump.org. No, um, all <laughs> all all uh, all inquiries may be directed. I go to my Instagram. That's the only place that I'm really active anymore. You know, I yeah, quit. I mean, I quit all the rest of my social media and Instagram is fun because there's pictures and I can follow all Chicago sports teams, which is fun for me. So yeah, that's, that's, that's where you hit me up. On Mark per, at, it's at Mark periphery. Yes. At, at Mark periphery. 
Sick yes. titties. Now, yeah. I know, th- you know, this is supposed to be like Nam time. So before yeah. we go, is there anything is there anything new that might have come out that I'm I'm not aware of that has, you know, specifically marked like a new paint, a new color for the uh, for the the Mark Holcomb signature PRS? Well, you know? we put out, let's see, two years ago, we did the Seymour Duncan Dark Sun, which is a pedal I developed with Seymour Duncan. Uh, it's, a, it's a delay pedal, correct? It's a delay reverb pedal. Yeah, it's a fucking mindfuck pedal. And yeah, if you if you haven't played with one, uh, check it out. It's a it's a really trippy, unique piece of gear. I'm so proud of it. Uh, last year, PRS and I released e, the seven string version of, of my signature model. Mm-hmm. That came out last Nam. Uh, this year, I don't have anything, and okay. you know, a lot of it has to do with just the inactivity of the band. There's just not a lot going going yeah. on. But also, it's just the past couple of years I've accomplished a lot with the companies that I work with and I kind of want to give it time. We put out some really killer shit and I just want to let it sort of propagate and spread throughout the market and just, uh, just let it do its thing. And who knows, like I, I have some ideas with PRS that I'd like to see if we can get moving with, yeah. uh, but yeah, I, I miss Nam for that reason. I don't miss most things about Nam, but I, I miss the gear, new yeah. gear announcements. You know, yeah, those are always yeah, yeah. the sexiest. Um, are, are are you guys? Uh, and maybe I could be behind on this. Um, but do you think you guys are ever going to release a SE version of your signature? Oh yeah, there's there's the SE there's SE version of it. There yeah. is an SE. See, yeah, 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 this yeah. is see, this is how much of a piece of shit I am. I don't even. Oh, know. it's okay. It's that's actually the uh, the sort of flag. I guess it's become the flagship now because we put out a US made version of my guitar in 2015. Yeah. Chris had that one. That was the one I sent you. Okay. Uh, okay. when we were first doing when Chris cuz Chris is a PRS guy now. Right. right or really right. has been since 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 we started touring. But he right. got one of your original the original not the SE but the original uh, okay. six string. Right on, right on. Yeah, and that that was cool. We put that out and I was so happy with how that came out. The problem was is that it was almost a $4,000 guitar. Chimney so Germany we specced out a version of it that we could get down to 900 bucks, which is a, which is a miracle because I have the same pickups and most of the same specs. Yeah. And, uh, and that's been the flagship since 2017. And then we, we did a seven string version last maybe year. That, and, that was, yeah. It. I, sorry. Maybe that was the one that he had then. I don't, yeah, I don't maybe. remember. Maybe. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, there's more stuff coming, man. More, more stuff always in the, always in the pipeline. Um, and then, you know, because I'm a gearhead, so I gotta know: Are you running that? Are you running that Fractal Three now? Always, always, yeah. We we were lucky enough to get one pretty early on in the product cycle, and uh, it's been my main it's been my main recording unit, the XFX Three here. I'm 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 really really happy with it. We ha- we're not using them live. Live, mm-hmm. we're still using the XFX Two XL Plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, God, that's a mouthful. Uh, but we are we are really happy with those, and it's just sort of. It fits nicely with our racks, you know. These, yeah. These, these, the, the, these three ones are th- they're three space now. They're bulky. They're yeah. bulky. They are yeah. the PS3 Foreman grill compared <laughs> to the sleek, sexy PS5. Well, I know a lot of guys who are using the uh, AxeFX 2 Plus XL Ultra V3 version 2.0 live <laughs> yeah. and had moved over to the to the Fractal um, AxeFX 3. I know uh, that because that's definitely been one thing I've been, I've been wanting to, to check out, too, is just because, you know, when I go out and touring, I have these big, huge pedal boards and, you know, I'm waiting for the Quad Cortex. I had my artist pre-order, by, you know, put in in like September or whatever. And I'm just, I'm waiting for the quad cortex just because like, I just want something to just be like, listen, I got my fucking, my Anki case. Yeah. I got my pedal board. Let's yeah. go. Like, yeah, that's let's all. 
Because uh, yeah. I've had the big racks full of fucking heads and pedals and thinking I'm fucking Justin Chancellor with two fucking 810s and, you know, a MIDI rig that's switching all my pedals and, you know, whatever. But I'm just like, bro, when something goes wrong, it's it just it's it's all wrong. <laughs> and, We've you know, I, there, I yeah. hate tap dancing. Like, that's one thing is I fucking hate tap dancing. Yeah. I'd rather just have this little tiny baby board and, like, have my whole scenes for the whole show and do, just, all right, cool, here's this sound, this sound, this sound, and not yeah. have to worry about fucking 810s and 22 space rack units full of fucking bullshit that yeah, I'm not yeah. even using most of. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. well, Mark, I really appreciate your time. Um, Thank you for coming on to all my listeners. I know it's been a while since I put out a podcast, so I wanted to make sure I put out a good one for you. I hope you enjoyed this episode with the very awesome Mark Holcomb, and I will see you next week. Mm-hmm.